What's a full shaft arrow? How long is a full shaft arrow? Oh, he doesn't even cut 32, them. 32 inch. And so is that what you're using? Yeah, I just used the full shaft, man. Do you have a... <laughs> Same here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hi yo hunter podcast episode 142 thank you guys for listening and as always remember to like follow subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast, we appreciate you listening. There you go. How about that? Mm-hmm. Beauty. There's a good chance. Uh, it is August 24th. Uh, this one will air. When is this going to air? This one will air. <laughs> Pretty soon. Like the 29th. Oh, yeah. So this is like, Tuesday. this is basically real time. Mm-hmm. It's basically a live podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we may have 20,000 YouTube subscribers. I think we will. You guys gotta stop watching that show. It's just it'll happen. It happens when it happens. I get excited. It's excited. Nick gets fully wrapped. Twenty's worth celebrating. I guess that's a win. It is. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big one. The, the other ones I don't big, pay attention the big to. What did they say? I, I read a thing that says zero to twenty thousand is the hardest number to get to. Really? Yeah. Mm. You know what else they say? <laughs> What's that? A little bit of baking soda to the arse and groin will often yield the tenderloin. That it will. That it will. I have a funny baking story. Okay, baking yeah, let's soda. go. Oh, let's start. Let's start baking So when I was in Charleston for two months, mm-hmm. um, we were watching my girlfriend's sister's dog for a while, and the dog got sick, like diarrhea sick. Is that like your nephew dog then? Uh, she's a girl, so, dog? so niece. Dog-in-law. Do- dog niece. Doggy niece. Sister niece. Dog niece. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's, a little, uh, she's a little pit bull, um, uh-huh. and uh, she little got bitch. real sick. <laughs> you <She, laughs> little bit. <laughs> quite literally. Uh, no, she, she's a sweetheart, but, uh, you know, she got real sick for a few days and was just shitting everywhere. Mm. And, you know, we're looking up, like, home remedies, <laughs> how, how, how to clean up dog shit, whatever. It's, like, in the carpet. You to Google that, <laughs> but dude. I I've never owned a dog before. Called a rag, bro. <laughs> rag but, and water. Um, we uh we're like dumping baking soda after we clean everything, and mm-hmm. we're going to use the vacuum, and the carpet's still wet, and I ruined like a three hundred dollar vacuum Ooh. because there's just baking soda caked all through it. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What? Huh? Caked caked through it. Like like uh, it. That's it, uh. Did you say? Baking story or baking soda <laughs> I, story? I, I meant to say baking soda story. Okay. Uh, okay. I was like, wait, where's we the cupcakes coming no, into this? I don't, I don't bake. Liner. I don't bake. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, sh- that would be a turd sandwich yeah. that you were making. So, um, well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Was it your vacuum? Uh, 
No. Oh, well, no problem then. Yeah. Is, it, uh, <laughs> is it a rental? Like, are you worried about losing the security deposit there? No, it was uh, the, the girl we were renting off of. It was her vacuum, and I'm mm. sure she knows by now. She's definitely not going to listen to this She's like, this podcast, vacuum's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, even, like you didn't even tell her you just put it back <laughs> in the closet? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean... We gotta work on your character. Did, did no, clean, that's a good move. Did clean up the apartment very nice though. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, you wouldn't even be able to tell. So the you were dog subleasing. Shit. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't tell them yeah. if I'm subleasing. Th- this is what I told Honesty my girlfriend. Boys. I said, if she if she reaches out and said, "Hey, my vacuum's ruined," I'll say, "I'll buy you a new one." Yeah, but you know, we paid a uh, rent. Man, we cleaned how up do you sleep? I mean, how listen, do you sleep at night? <laughs> if it's between a ruined vacuum and her house smelling like dog shit, yeah. I think it's a ruined right, vacuum. Right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. That's the way I would look at it. So. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, good story. Nick. <laughs> good to have you back, Nick. Yeah, yeah good story. Good to see. Tell, tell me about the South. Oh, okay, that that makes sense. Did you fill your water up in the spigot? I did. How's it taste? I haven't tasted it yet. Give her a swig. Let's get an honest review. One out of ten. Yeah, mine tastes like chlorine. Tap water is the base. I mean, doesn't taste like my house you. water. First cup was from home. That's why I thought. Maybe your Nalgene's dirty. No, because the water on the way here was Maybe fine. you peed in it. I've definitely <laughs> peed in it. But no, that's not what I'm tasting, though. I don't know. Smell mine. It smells chlorine Does it? Yeah. Yeah, it does smell chlorine It was from the bathroom. Mm, maybe that's why. Uh, well, because that's because the crackhead cleans with, like, uh, chemicals I wouldn't oh. clean with. Okay, I'm not going to drink this. Whatever they used up uh, upstairs, it, like, melted the countertops. And I had to tell them, like, hey, uh, don't use that anymore. Ugh. I don't know what it was, but They're it was... all around? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I fired them <laughs> multiple times. No, no. <laughs> For sure. I cleaned. I cleaned. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I fired you I multiple times, so... There's <laughs> not many people that'll, pay. that'll clean. clean a whole building like every other week for like 80 bucks. <laughs> so yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, on to the hunt side. Mm-hmm. Serious conversation here. So oh, yeah. August 29th. Oh, yeah, dude. We're, we're ready to rip. We got new bows the other day. Mm-hmm. Yesterday. Well, we've had them for, I, for a little bit, I guess, but we got them all set up. Dropped them off with old Tim down mm-hmm. at Ultimate Outdoors and... Dude, I backed how, out, ready to roll. How great was that to be able to spend some time with? Um, I, feel, I feel so bad, like, because I don't know where to tell, you know, especially like Jed, you know, he's like, uh, mm-hmm. he's like, what, where do I take my boat? And I'm like, well, you just got to find, you got to find your guy. I mean, we talked about it when we left there. I mean, because the experience with Tim and Ultimate Outdoors is awesome for us. It's like, Dad, can you fix this, Dad? And he's just there adjusting stuff and making it better. But, like, you know, when I – there was one bow shop that I took a lot of my bows to when I was younger. Then it was, like, I don't know. I used, like, a Bass Pro or Dick Sporting. And, dude, they don't know what the hell they were doing. Mm-hmm. No offense to anybody who was a bow tech at those places, but you didn't know what you are doing. Sure. And so Tim even said, he's, like, half of my job is fixing Well, it's a, there's a difference between a pro shop and a, and a retail store. Yeah, I mean, it's- fixing screw-ups from other bow shops. Yeah. You know, and so we came out of there. I mean, our oh, – not saying we would, but we could put a broadhead on and go kill a deer at 20 yards easily right now. Oh, yeah. And that was leaving the shop, picking up our bows for the first day. Oh, yeah. So uh, we got those. We're ready for that. I've been shooting recurve, so I'm still tuning in on that, but I'm pretty confident I'm going to use that a bit, quite a bit this year. Maybe even start out with the first, like all of September, recurve month. Yep. 
Nice. Food plots are looking good. We, mm-hmm. Man, it's amazing how much work it takes. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's constant maintenance. I'm trying to get some of these clover plots established, you know, and it's like <clears throat> they were looking really good. <sighs> I got to tell you, I, that 2,4-DB for me it didn't do anything. That's I, weird. Did I tell you this? Yeah, you said it didn't have – and there are some broadleafs like horse nettle and stuff that it won't kill. I don't know exactly what they were. One of them was I mean, ragweed. But ragweed sure. should definitely die from that. Yeah, one of them was ragweed, and another one was there's a real polleny broadleaf. Do, do you know what that would be? It's like mm-hmm. uh, we've got a lot of it, just real polleny. Like if you run over, it's like a dust of I don't know of whatever. But yeah, that stuff was still in there, and I was like, I was that was a bummer because I was like, when I sprayed two weeks ago, I was like, man, this is gonna really mm-hmm. it's good timing. It's we'd gotten some rain since, and when I went back and checked, it was, you know, they didn't look that great. So mm-hmm. I we my that's why I called you the other day. I was like, dude, what should I do? Um, you know, just for a second opinion. So what I ended up doing with almost all of those was because there's good clover in there, it's not like I need to start from scratch mm-hmm. or whatever. I broadcast oats into most of them mm-hmm. and I, and we mowed them. Yep. And it was kind of risky because there was not really any rain in the it forecast. Was mm-hmm. and it was hot. Fortunately, we got like an inch and a half of mm-hmm. rain last night and so it, be I perfect. Mean, it just should be absolutely perfect. Yeah. And then in the springtime, you kill your oats out of there and yeah. got clover. Yeah. You're good to go. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. We both have been dealing with a lot of weeds this year, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. I mean, I I've sprayed at the right times. I've had really good kills, and then like, there it is, weeds. I don't know where the hell they come from. <laughs> yeah, they're just in the Z bed waiting. They're aggressive. I think what what I saw at least in a lot of my places is I would take out, you know, whatever the existing vegetation was, and I'd put my seat in. And there would be, in in my case, it was Johnson grass suppressed by whatever was over top. I killed what's over top. That Johnson grass then just poof, exploded, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that that's the downfall, you know, of of spraying in a lot of these places is that you don't know what's in the seed bed that's going to be maybe even worse than what you're killing off. Yeah. And especially when you're putting your seed in, now you've got your growing plants that you don't want to nuke with glyphosate yeah. in intermixed with stuff that you need to get nuked out so we we did some cloth and in our brassicas even and I, dude i can't i don't think i've ever done that before i've never done that before i've never had to my brassica plots have come in great and like there are no grasses in them or very few yeah well dude we're very much still learning and so like if anybody listened to like our what we have said about food plots you know sorry if, if we messed you <laughs> up at all but like so one example is i don't think we talked about this on here yet but mm-hmm. i went back and checked on my brassica plots that i planted mid-july i usually i go for an early planting for i just you know a couple reasons like if, if we hit a really dry mm-hmm. august and september i want them to have enough time to grow um if something happens like and that was the case this year where i have to replant mm-hmm. then i have time to do that and, and i don't know there's a couple of reasons but uh so that's what happened i i planted like four and a half acres of brassicas uh three acre and a half plots each all at the ohio farm and i went back and checked them like it was in the first week of august i think so two three weeks ago now three mm-hmm. weeks ago now and i mean like a complete failure yeah. Like I, I still, to this day, I don't necessarily know. It's, it's not bad seed. I can guarantee that. Which is weird. Cause I did go back. I actually, there was a fourth small plot that I, it was actually where the beans are at and I just broadcast right into the beans. Um, and those ones look great. Look really good. The three that I broadcast into standing, you know, mm-hmm. basically standing fields, there were fields that had been worked before. So I felt like I had adequate, mm-hmm. you know, 
not too much thatch. Yeah. I, think I was going to be able to get seed to soil. I'm pretty sure we had good rain. I got a complete kill with the glide, and those freaking things just did not grow. There wasn't any, like hardly anything. Anymore. Hardly anything. Weird. You know, and I was like second guessing because, you know, it had been a year since, you know, and I was like, what should they look like at this point in? And so, so what we did was I was right then and there. I was like, these are, these are going to fail. Like we, I need to restop what I'm doing and replant these like today. It was mm-hmm. like August 6th or something. Um, so we did, we, I just, I had already sprayed two, three weeks before the day that we seeded. So I had dad turn everything over. Uh, with Ferminator. The Ferminator yep. dude has been a staple for since the beginning. It has. You know, so it works. There's yeah. been complaints about it, but... Yeah, some complaints. It's not perfect, but yeah, it's got one row of, bla- of blades, yeah. for instance. But so I had Dad turn it over and call a pack, and we had a nice seed bed. And I I went to the co-op and got there 15 minutes before they closed and bought all new seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rate of which was interesting. You know, talking about... It was frigid forage is what I planted originally. What's that? Four pounds per acre, And it calls right? for a four pound per acre, which seems super light. It is. So it's like seven to eight. So I ended up putting down eight pounds an acre of just, just the stuff I yeah. got from the co-op. We made a, you know, a, a ragtag deal and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, we're back in business. Back in business. I replanted that day. We got good rain since then. And I'm, all of those are looking like, you know, six to eight inches tall right now. There you go. The one, so two of them look money, 10 out of 10. Uh, the third one did have a lot of grass in it. Like real, like there was a lot of brassicas, but it looked like a lawn. Like mm. there's just really nice grass coming up in there. Um, so I did, I sprayed it with clethodum. Yeah. I think a week ago. Yeah. Really weird stuff that uh, frankly, I don't remember dealing with in the past on a lot of these plots, but new fields, different fields, like you never know what's in the seed bank on some of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it, that's the kind of stuff that I always like just smirk at when somebody says, Ooh, you know, corn pile is the same as a food plot. And I'm like, get bent. Yeah. Food plots are hard, man. It's not easy. It's expensive. It's time consuming and it's not a guarantee by any means. Yeah. Um, All said and done though, I do feel like I've got the best food we, we've ever had. I'll be important. I've got a lot of good, my, the beans that I planted, like with the, the yep. drill that we rented look like money, like, a, like a farmer planted them. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, pretty happy with that. There you go. So yeah, I mean we're we're in it at this point. You know, like I said, we're you know a week from season starting to open. I'll be in Kentucky on the second, um, whether I'm hunting or the kids are hunting. But and then the next week I've got an elk hunt in Kentucky. Not me, but I'm the pack mule and the yeah. collar. So um, yeah, man, we're we're in it just like that. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's you know we're staring September in the face at this point. It's exciting, but just like crazy that it's here. Yeah, just about in a week or two here. So in the meantime, we've got uh, someone here to, to preoccupy our, our conversation. He's come back around. Coming back around. We're going to catch up with Rendell Eric today. Yep. No balls, no box. And uh, Eric's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Rendell's, Rendell's become like a, a good friend and always a, a source of comedic relief. So uh, the deer hunting giant, we on. might we might call him. He's yep. a, I'm a big dude. The one stepping ball, <laughs> ball, ball dragon. <laughs> No balls, no bucks. Yeah. He's got a new career since we've last That's talked. Right. This, sounds is, like this some, is pretty some wild. Big changes have moved to Iowa, quit his job, got got a new job. Got a new job and uh, still killing bucks. Or that's the plan, at least. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's get them on. We yeah, gotcha. All right. What's up, dude? Chilling, man. Getting ready for deer season. Chilling. Decked out on that Osseo gear, I see. Head to toe. Yeah, yeah man. Speaking of new career, right? Yeah, it's crazy, man. I finally got my dream job. So, so tell us. We we talked briefly on the phone there, but you, because you were a school teacher before, you're working with special ed kids for, for a while. Yeah, special ed and uh, like special behavior kids. Yeah, like, you know the naughty kids kind of. You just had to, <laughs> you know, beat them in line, basically. <laughs> <laughs> can well, we say that now that you're not well, a teacher I, like, I don't know if i can say this or not but the first the first time you ever told me that i said oh dude that's, su- that's super admirable you're not you're like yeah i don't really like it <laughs> no, no, no. I, was, I was pretty miserable to be honest with you <laughs> it's a really hard job like especially this day and age yeah i can't even imagine dude yeah kids don't listen to shit anymore yeah. well but so what yeah, you can't really you can't really do anything either. It's just free for all. Like just they yeah. just do whatever they want. Yeah, you yell want. at them and it's your fault and you're fired and on <laughs> yeah. on CNBC before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't hurt anybody's feelings. That's for sure. <laughs> well, so but what happened? So Joe Miles saw your last podcast. Said this dude's a, an awesome. We need to we need to have this guy and just like that. Yeah, Joe. Uh, found me on some podcasts I did. Then he went into my social media, seeing the size of the bucks I kill. And then, um, he had a guy that worked for him, uh, just looking to me a little bit and we became friends. And I was talking to Joe miles about some different video stuff he had. And then I volunteered, they started, uh, sponsoring me. And then I went to some shows that they were doing and volunteered. And then he seen my, he seen my value right away and, uh, said he just had to have me. So now I'm working for Ozio as a manager full time. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Well, first of all, congratulations, congratulations dude. Yeah. That's that's pretty much. Uh, I mean, you you pick up and you move to Iowa to kill big deer, and you find yourself working in the industry. Uh, that's that's a Cinderella story, if I've heard one. Yeah, all that sacrifice paid off, man. There was a lot of stuff I did that I don't really talk about that much. Like when I first came to Iowa, I didn't know anybody. I'd never been to the Iowa where I moved to. I didn't have a job lined up, no place to live. I lived in a campground for seven months. Whoa. And then I made, yeah. And I made friends with another guy that had some, uh, a little bit of land and he had like a dilapidated fifth wheel camper. Like the walls were falling apart and stuff. And he let me live in that. And I lived in that for seven months until I found an apartment out in the middle of the country. Cause I live in like the least populated part of Iowa. So it's far, it's really hard to find places to live. Mm-hmm. So, so 14 months, I pretty much lived without running water and stuff like that. But wow. then I got an apartment, started doing like random jobs. I got an agricultural degree and then I got into teaching and then now I'm doing nausea gig now. So it, it really paid off coming up here and it's like, 
I mean, you can't kill big bucks if you're not hunting where big bucks are. So, I mean, it paid off for sure to come up here. No way. Uh, Remind me, are you married, Rendell? Yeah, unfortunately. Wow. (laughs) And did she she live in the dilapidated camper for seven months with you? With no running water? No, No, I didn't pick her up until five years ago or so. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, that's quite a woman. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Boy, her first kid come out sideways. She didn't scream or nothing. Yeah. Well, let's keep in mind too that it's not like you're just blending into the crowd here, right? You're whatever six foot eight, you know. So it's yeah. like hey, here's this new yeah, guy that moves into town, and it's like you stick out. Yeah, the small town. It's like fresh meat kind of thing. You know? <laughs> like... yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, but. You know, what I think is crazy about that, and seriously, like, congratulations on that. It, it you know, you you obviously took a, a huge risk picking up and going to a place that, like, you know, nothing about. You got no job. You got no place to stay, you know. And and as crazy as some people make it think, there's a lot of us that understand it's like, well, it's because you want to kill big deer, you know. Yeah. And, and you, you can't just go and do that anywhere. I bet Rendell would phrase it as nothing to lose as opposed to a big risk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no balls, no bucks. If you want to change your life and chase your dreams, you got to do drastic. You got to do really extreme measures sometimes to make it happen. Well, and so even with this Osseo stuff, right? I mean, obviously you, you were working with them, but I mean, you had to volunteer and you probably traveled. About, I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices there for you to get yeah. noticed even. Yeah, for sure. I traveled a lot. Um, it's funny, like the first show I worked for them, there was like a snowstorm and it delayed my flight. So at my other teaching job, I was on the phone for like an hour and a half with the airline while I'm trying to teach. And then they're like, they flipped me to a different airline and they're like, you got to go now. So I was just like, oh, I'm sick. I got emergency. And I just took emergency sickness. Get the baking and soda. <laughs> Then I Ubered to the airport and then flew out maybe before the snowstorm hit. So it was like, man, it took a lot of effort to get some of these shows and all the traveling. Like last month, I was in 13 states in 14 days. I mean, it takes a lot of of time and effort. So what are you're saying your manager? So what is what are your major responsibilities there? So I'm running all of the shows and activities expos that we're going to next year guy yeah. and like some product development stuff uh T- tell us about know, tell us about osseo like how big is the company because joe just started it like what two years ago two three years ago it's four years four years old four years okay yeah this is our fourth year um it's a premium camo line and joe based it off uh of a great horned owl's feather pattern he oh, was cool. in the woods and he was walking and these owls flew down and he seen them and then he looked away and then he tried to find them again and he couldn't find them until they flew off and landed into another tree. And then he looked away and he looked up and he couldn't find them. And uh, great horned owls, they see in like 2D vision, just like a deer and mm-hmm. rabbits and squirrels see just like a deer do. So he was like, well, they hunt prey that sees just like a deer and we both hunt out of trees so it just made sense but he did a lot of like uh like sheep hunting and stuff mm-hmm. and a lot of that clothing line is premium but it's not made for sitting after you are active for a while it's made to stay mm-hmm. moving to keep you warm and then you'd sit 
and then you freeze after mm. a while. So we kind of took that and made it into a camo line that you can be active in, but then it'll keep you warm too uh, when you're sitting in your stand or your saddle. Mm. And then it's got, uh, tried to fix a lot of the problems we had with like clothing that we wore in the past, like the little things, little details, you know, like when you got to draw your bow when it's, you know, 10 below zero, you need like stretch in the armpit, stuff like that. So you got a whole clothing line that's really high end, premium quality. It's super silent and uh, it's just made just for bow hunting pretty much. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, and Joe's got quite a track record of, or, you know, like a, a wall of bucks basically to say, you know, accrued experience to say, I've got my certain twists that I want to put onto apparels. I mean, that's, that's what's cool about, you know, there's lots of good brands of all kind of different stuff, whether it's tree stands or camo or, you know, but typically it's the guys behind them that have, it's like their twist on, on something. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, no, Joe's a great guy. I mean, top notch people behind the company. I really believe in it. Usually I get products and I always find something I don't really like about it or, mm. you know what I mean? I kind of scrutinize it quite a bit, but yeah. he's about the only company that I've never really found anything that I didn't really like or had an issue with. So I, uh, just the person he is, the quality of the clothing and stuff is what made me get behind it. Cause I want to run stuff and work for companies I really believe in. So it wasn't a hard sell for me to join the Ozio team. Right on. Very Do they cool. have to special make your custom make your stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wear the regular stuff. Big really? and big and tall. <laughs> yeah, everything's made a little longer, so you don't get like wind drafts and stuff. So yep. it'll be longer on you, but normal size for me. <laughs> I, was say, I where, need a little shorter, if anything. Where are they based out of? Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, that that's super cool. And and obviously, you know, last time that we talked and, and your passion for it, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I can completely understand what, what Joe saw in, in the alignment. And, you know, I think a lot of brands probably uh, underestimate the value of those consumer shows and stuff that the still the impact, especially a newer brand or something that people are less familiar with to really get in front of them and you know, feel, touch, uh, clothing, especially, I think is, it's very important. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like grassroots effort kind yep. of deal. Cause you know, a lot of people see it online and are not really sure about it, how it's going to fit and feel like you said. So it's good to get out there into different demographics and get the brand built up and you get a couple of guys wearing it here and there and then their buddies see it, you know? So it's kind of like the ground ground level, uh, old school kind of way to grow yep. your brand. Were, were you at the uh, Harrisburg? So that's a Pennsylvania. It's the uh, Great American Outdoor Show. Yeah. Were you there? I, this was past? I wasn't there yet. Okay. Because I saw the Osseo booth. I just kind of was walking past it. I didn't think you were had were a part of that yet. Will you be there this coming year? Yeah, I'll be there. I'm doing 20 shows next year. Wow. All right. Well, let's, let's try to connect maybe, uh, if not at the show, you know, in, in person or whatever. We'll, we'll be there for that briefly. Yeah, sure. I'm going to drive right through uh, PA to get there. So, Yeah? What's well, in PA? So. Yeah, I'm staying in Iowa, so, I mean, I'll have to drive out from Iowa to get to everywhere I'm going to. Yeah, that makes sense. So, when pre-podcast, we were talking. You said you've, you know, we talked about kind of your strategy on the publicly inside, you know, last podcast. But now, with ha being in the industry and not having a teaching position, it sounds like that's probably created some changes in your approach here. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, I anticipated the time traveling. I'll be gone a lot that uh, January through end of March time frame. Yep. So I purposely did not do any postseason scouting this year when I was doing like 300 miles a year. Now I did nothing. And I'm putting all my chips on in-season scouting to see which one uh, weighs the most weight for me. Oh, wow. Because I can hunt I can hunt every day of the season now for like four months. So I got a lot of time to get out there and get on fresh bucks and see the seasons change and things like that. So I'm really uh, switching the end season just to see how well I do compared to the years when I did mostly postseason scouting. And in a perfect world, it's like a tag team, you know, mm-hmm. you got the postseason knowledge, then you can use in season knowledge like a rub lines open in season and you know it goes to this bedding area and then you can use that to your advantage where i'm just diving in just in season and i'm hunting a lot of states too states i've never even been to haven't even scouted yet on purpose just so i can get better at uh fine-tuning everything in season so it's Hmm. it's basically like a learning year for me to try to get better at certain things I think I'm not that great at yet, or I don't want to rely on what I was getting it done with and try to get better in other areas. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it, it definitely is a different thing. You know, the postseason scouting, it just undoubtedly, that's probably a better time of year to be able to see, you know, all the foliage is gone, all the, the trails are well-worn in and stuff. It's like you can see everything that happened and then, you know, yeah. use it to apply to next year. But the, the, the in-season stuff is like real time it's like almost like a different scale it's like how do i you know i'm seeing what's happening right now how can i take this and not screw it up but utilize it right now to kill the buck that's you know that's that's making the sign or whatever yeah and last season i kind of hunted uh in-season scouting a little bit just mm-hmm. to kind of transition into that mode and uh my buddy jared uh schaefer from tethered came out and hunted with me for a little bit and i found that that in-season sign when I would find it and verify like, all right, the buck's using this. I caught myself instead of hunting that spot the next morning, I'd hang a freaking camera or a cell cam up to verify the size of the deer. Yeah. And then I'd wait for the picture. Then when I got the photo, I was like, damn it. I should have been there. That buck, <laughs> yeah. That buck, usually, he usually hit your scent and yep. then he would be, you tipped him off and he's like, avoiding the area or it changed his travel route a little bit and then you missed your opportunity so Mm. like you just got to trust your gut last year i don't think i trusted my gut in season as much as i should have yeah i was too worried about like trying to verify like size and stuff like that when i should have just been you know freestyle hunting when you're doing the in season scouting thing yeah yeah i think the you know there are definitely advantages to the in season right i mean if you find a, a giant rub line and fresh scrapes and things like i mean you hunt it. You're you're in there. You hunt it, and I mean, it, it's happening. Versus, okay, I saw it last year. You don't even know if that buck made it through. Um, I I do wonder, like, how many guys take advantage of truly in season scouting. Like, I I have to imagine there's some guys that are just like, well, here's you know, here's the food plot. This is the this is where my stands at. This is where I hunt. Over time, like you know, as seasons have progressed here, I I think I've benefited from seeing real time. Dude, those big bucks just aren't everywhere that there's good habitat is the reality. It's not like you could just go to a good spot and expect a big one to be there. No. I've, you know, like I said, benefited more from, like, sight laps during the season. Mm -hmm. Like, I, 
I do scout beforehand, you know, to a degree. Like, you know, I, I want to know, obviously, where, you know, in a postseason scouting, I want to identify those, whatever it is, south-facing knobs, or, you know, yeah. where these betting ridges are stuff. I'm not pushing into that necessarily. And then preseason, like this year, we're seeing a ton of, like, the white oaks are, are loaded for us, like in Ohio and stuff. And so, like, I know right now that's going to be killer. I've got some cameras on those close to betting areas and stuff. But it won't be until the end of September, you know, getting into October, that the real sign starts to, to to be there, you know, when that velvet comes off and they literally start rubbing trees or they literally start working scrapes or, or hanging in certain food sources. Um, if you aren't out there actively scouting during that time of the year, you, you won't ever see it, you know, and you may, and, yeah. and if you're like too scared to go in there or whatever, you might not ever know it until, oh, we finally walked across it, you know, in gun season or later on in shed season. You're like, well, it's, you know, that happened in October. We, we missed it by a mile. Yeah. I think I think that's the I mean scouting labs. I usually I do a lot of late season scouting, but I will say that the majority of intel that I go off of is is uh or I'm sorry late season is in season. Like it is throughout the year trying to to identify the freshest most recent sign and then make a strategy off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some downfalls to it because again, it, you know, let's say you find a big rub. Well, you're a step behind that deer already made that big rub, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. Maybe it's an indi- indicator he's in the, in the area. Um, but just like Rendell saying about, you know, putting up a camera and getting the picture, like you're, you're a step behind at that point. So, you know, I think Rendell, to your point, it is a, it's a really weird thing. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it is very gut reactionary. Like, when you get into an area and you find a few things that just say, okay, there's probably a big deer here, you the next thing I look at is conditions. When's the right time to get in there and just get visualization on that? Because if I set a camera and I'm guilty of it, I'm going to get a picture of a buck I'd kill, but it's too late, and then I'm a step behind. I got a question for you. I, I don't remember yeah, if we sure. talked last time. Are you a moon guy or no? I have never paid attention to weather, moon, nothing. I just hunt whenever I can hunt. But I have started to dabble into paying attention to, like, the red moon and things like that. Just, uh, I don't know, you know, for my own knowledge and stuff, just to see if it holds weight or not. Well, you've got so much time to hunt now. I feel like you probably could be more particular about, like, your weather patterns and stuff. Yeah, I've thought about it, but I'm still, like... (laughs) I'm just really aggressive, so I feel like I'm just going to put the screws to the buck. I'm either going to kill him or blow him out when I hunt him every single day. I like, just get it done. That's mm-hmm. funny, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, we talked about this on one of our last podcasts because I was guilty for a while. <clears throat> if I knew there was a buck I wanted to kill and I could narrow in on him, I, I literally would sit on the sidelines for three weeks until, you know, whatever, October 23rd in the right cold front, and then I'd kill him on a scrape, which is great, you know, but ultimately it's like I probably – could have killed him earlier maybe if i tried it or if i hunted a certain and i just didn't i just sat on the sidelines and the risk there is like he gets killed or those weather conditions never line up and you you miss your opportunity completely at anything yeah and uh, every buck has this different personality like some bucks will play the game and they'll hold in there with you the mature deer really lock into that little core area and it can be kind of hard to push them out so you can put a lot more sits. Now I wouldn't sit the same tree every time, but I would just be bouncing around uh, the, the property that he's on, trying to figure him out. Maybe do a couple observation sits. I think I'll start doing that more Oof. because I have time. 
But when you're hunting a bunch of other states too, man, you just want to hit the gas and just try to dive in there to get it done so you can be gone into the next one. That's yeah. a great point, dude. You can't beat an observation set. I think so. And it's tempting. Like you don't want to miss out on, you know, a, a hunt to kill a deer by sitting out on the sidelines. But man, if you put yourself, that's what I did last year, like with that big eight point, yeah. granted dad ended up killing him in, sure. in December or whatever, but I, I felt like I really benefited from just kind of like I knew I knew where they were at. I just needed to kind of work the edge and get on some vantage points so I could I could fine tune. Like I I could see sign and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but sitting back and you know especially if it's in a new area, regardless of the time of the season, I think sitting back and getting eyes on something is yeah. I was gonna say that invaluable. if you're playing it safe, you know to to Rendell's point, being aggressive in a kill situation from an observation side. If you can find an area that it's like, listen, I'm not gonna bugger anything here, but uh, frankly, if you got the time, just be out there anyways. Like, oh, I mean, what, what else are you going to do? Sit on the couch at home? Like, I mean, you might as well be out there at least experiencing it and trying to get intel on that stuff. And that probably, you know, think of a whether it's a, a thicket coming or CRP coming out to a field edge or whatever. That deer, you could get him on camera or something, but like where he actually came out, visually seeing how he comes out, his behavior as he comes out, there's a lot of data there that you're going to be able to take in and apply when you actually try to go in and kill him. Yeah. So early season, I usually hunt just afternoon. So I actually like to do my observation sits in the morning. Mm. And I'll watch where they, I'll watch where they go back to bed, and I'll use the day wind to predict where I think he's bedding at, based on my knowledge of doing so much postseason scouting and finding beds all the time. I've gotten really good at kind of guessing where I think he's bedded, and then I'll make my move in the afternoon to cut him off coming back out. Is what. Mm-hmm. I mostly like to do. I think a lot of people overlook that morning scouting opportunity, w- whether it's an observation sit or, I mean, do I find myself spending so much time in the truck, you know, just, just circling the area like that I'm in. And I'm not trying to, you know, run all the dirt roads that are, you know, it's, you know, I'm not trying to blow anything out necessarily, but like, if you know where they were at in the morning, like that's a, that's a huge piece of information to be able to say, okay, you know, I know what bedding areas are nearby. I've already done my postseason scouting. You know, based on this wind, it's likely that he's going to go back to, you know, mm-hmm. wherever. And then that's that's where you make your approach. So many of them sightings just happen, like, on a whim. Like, from the truck, you're like, I just happened to notice that this was happening. You know, it was first light. This buck crossed the road. He went down into this thicket. I know there's only one way out of there type of deal. And That's what I was going to ask, Reno. So, in those morning scouting opportunities what what are you doing are you sitting on like bean fields or are you pushing into the timber a little bit like what's your strategy there from a morning scout situation if it's more open country i like to stay in the truck with a spot and scope yep. or just stand or get on top of my truck with the spot and scope or if it's like more recluse area i'll get way up in a tree with the spot and scope on a camera arm but I'll stay back far enough away where I, they won't win me or gotcha. I don't have to mess with them when I'm coming out. You know, when they set up in the bedding, I don't have to walk by it or something. I'm just trying to stay back and be really smart about what I'm doing so they I don't tip them off. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably a big, and again, you know, hunting time being limited. That's probably a big miss for a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> even if they have the time to be in a stand, if they're like, oh, you know, whatever, wind's not right, I'm a hunting instead of using that day as like a good scouting opportunity 
you know, they're doing something else, you know, whatever, watching football or sitting on the couch or whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, and I get that, but you know, it is probably a big missed opportunity to get out there and, and get eyes on, on, and even if it's not the buck you're trying to kill, just seeing other deer and how they're working the wind and back into bedding is, is just as critical. Mm. Yeah. And it can tip you off to like little feed sources shift, like that end of September, they, I think they shift off of acorns and they go to greens. They'll get on like hay fields and green grass and stuff for like a week or two before they make their fall shift uh, mm. for October. So catching little like week or two week little windows when all right, all the does and bucks were in the hay field. Then I know I can back off beans and start looking at just greens and trying to figure out where I can get in out on green fields and stuff before they switch to corn mm. at the end of the month. That's interesting. I, those like September, October food sources seem to kind of always <clears throat> baffle me. Like I know I was just out there a week ago looking at, at some of our stuff. And, and so I was scouting the oaks specifically and noticed that a lot of the white oaks are just, I mean, look like one big acorn. The thing's just loaded. Um, yeah. But they're, you know, green, like green, greeny beanie, you know, doesn't look like they're getting ready to, to drop anytime soon. But what what is the, is there a date or is there a, a specific window where we're like, hey, white oaks typically drop right now like i know it's earlier than red oaks i mean it you know it'll be but it'll be before the yeah, opener it'll Is be it september like mid-september yeah. september 15th yeah i mean you'll you'll see them uh, people are seeing them dropping earlier now and it, it depends on storms so and the stuff ones that, that i saw through. none had dropped just yep. all in the tree yep. all green yep so you shot you still have two or three weeks probably mm -hmm. um yeah. you know peak peak drop is probably right before the opener or right on the opener from a white oak standpoint yeah uh, now, again, if a big storm, windstorm comes through or something, they're going to drop a lot faster and a lot quicker. But they, you know, some of those might not be perfectly ripe when they hit the ground either. Sure. Um, you know, and then your red oaks are going to be more trailing into that, you know. November, right? Yeah, mid-October to late-October time frame. But, you know, when you're sitting in the woods and, and, you know, opening day hearing bombs drop, that's white oaks dropping. Yeah. Well, see, and I'm, I've always been a believer in, like, if there's green beans— and you could couple that with, you know, whatever green food source, I guess. But, but you know, they're coming off of the beans in the summer, sometimes alfalfa. Seems like there's a, if there's any of that left over for opening day, at least where I'm at, I, that's where they're at. And, you know, we haven't had good acorn years the past two years. So I don't know if it's that's, that's the reason for that. I mean, I assume if they have the choice between a half green soybean field and a white oak acorn, like they're going to they're going to obviously go to the acorns. Yeah, I think they'll hit the acorns first. I do find that, in my opinion, through living in Iowa so long and observations through hunting, cameras, scouting, corn is king uh, for me in the Midwest. I already got deer on corn right now. They're going, they won't even hit the beans right now that are green. They're hitting the corn hard right now on the field edges and stuff. And they'll never, yeah. never leave the corn. And I find... Uh, the crop rotation here between beans and corn wherever i have corn i'll have the mature bucks and the beans don't hold as many mature bucks for me they'll uh, bail out of there wow so i'll have a little wood lot that had corn on it and it'll have a couple mature bucks in there and then the next year it switches the beans and they'll totally abandon that and they'll go to the shift to wherever the corn is so mm. i think it provides like security cover uh, moisture they can bed in the corn. I find a lot of corn bedding, honestly. I mean, mm -hmm. some guys believe that, some guys don't, but 
they bed in the waterways, any spot that didn't get planted. Yeah. Or they'll I even kick them up right out of cornrows uh, when I'm going in sometimes. Yeah. So I really focus on corn. I'll look at the aerials and uh, figure out, all right, where's the corn? Because I'll predict the shift. If I see a big buck on beans in the summer, I'm predicting him to shift to that corn just about every time, unless it's premium bedding. I think he'll stay in that bedding. And he'll, I call it long lining, he'll long line out to wherever that corn is. It might be a mile or two. He'll travel after dark to get to the corn. Yeah. Then he'll go back because he'll never bed somewhere that's not superior bedding because it doesn't give him the opportunity to be safe to stay alive. Yep. Agree. Yeah. That's what, uh, in fact, my Kentucky corn that I planted, a lot of that on the edges is getting crushed right now by deer. I mean, they're just hammering it. Always has. It's, it's, uh, truthfully, I've never like, I've never set up on like a cornfield as like a food source. Like we just for like early season or just ever, frankly, really. Well, I just I I know it's there, and I'm probably I don't know. I'm just thinking about it here for now for the first time. Like it's just a lot of our stuff is intermixed. So most fields out, you know, this is in Ohio that I'm talking about are you know it's a couple rows of corn, a couple rows of beans, a couple, and so it's all intermixed, and they always harvest the the soybeans first. So the soybeans are typically picked around, you know, October 1st, I think, like like right in yeah. there. And the corn doesn't typically get picked until uh, mid-November. Which is different in a lot of the Midwest where corn, in a lot of cases, is going around the same time as beans, if not earlier. Like right. Kansas, a lot of that corn's gone before the beans are gone. Right. Um, right. And I don't know why that is necessary. So, But I, I'm always like... You know, jockeying that time of year is like more than any other time of year trying to figure out what they're hitting. Like the, yeah. the white oaks are a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, they're obviously, this white oak's loaded. It's right next to this bedding area. It's pinched in by corn. I can tell the corn's obviously, it's getting browsed as well. Mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you right now, dude, if you can find a spot like that, I'm going to kill a buck there. Like probably either me or I'm going to put one of our guys yeah. on it. There's a big 150-inch eight point. I know for a fact he's using this little just nook he's just bedding in this little thing that overlooks the road and yeah. it's it's abutted by a you know a decent sized cornfield and right on the edge there's kind of a point there's a giant white oak that's just absolutely loaded and i i went in there the other day knowing full well he was probably in that bedding area uh to i had to trim out a trim out a tree i was like this is probably where he's going to be is we're going to catch him uh and i put a camera in there and sure enough like pretty much right away like after i left he come out of the bedding area to see mm-hmm. what was going on you know yeah so yeah i i think um one of the things that that i try to look at is you know i i do think that the green use is is pretty high i think we're getting to that point where you're you know they're using beans but you know, if they've got alfalfa or clover or whatever hay fields like they're going to be visiting those just as much um, and then as these, as these acorns start dropping and, and it typically is coinciding at the same time that, you know, velvet shedding bachelor groups are breaking up. That's when like all of a sudden, you know, there may not be a mature buck anywhere near the property you're watching and then boom, like there it is. And it's just like, you know, this is the major, this is the shift. Right. And, and I think to Rendell's point, you see them hit some of these hay fields or green fields. And then I think that that part of that is. They've been holding so tight along corn and bean fields all summer. Like, they're not moving at all. 
And then all of a sudden they start to venture out and they hit those hay fields and they move a little more and they find some white oaks and they move a little more. And it's just the expansion of the home range like that. And then eventually when the crops come down, it blows wide open. I, I wonder how, uh, like what, what the white sales process is for finding those, like those white oaks that are dropped. Is it just kind of like happenstance or is it, do you think it's like once they see ones dropping or something tips them off to be like, I need to go check that oak flat, you know, it's probably got. I honestly think, uh, in my opinion, I think bucks scout just like we do. Like mm. you get that couple day window movement in the summer of bucks. Yep. will just pop up on camera. Like I think they're scouting their home range for the fall shift and they're seeing, they're checking food sources. They're checking bedding areas to see if they, mm. if, if they can shift into that or not. And I think, uh, just as they get older, they're just uh, taking data and they know that that tree's there some previous years. Or that, or Mother Nature, man, it's a crazy thing, dude. Like yeah. they just have the instincts to know, like, yeah. oh, that oak tree is probably dropping this year, maybe. And he's checking on that, you know, and he just shows up to see if it's gonna produce or not. Mm. You ever hear of uh, people being in the stands with pockets of rocks, and they would just drop rocks out of their stands to make it sound like acorns are dropped? You've never heard about that? No, but I've seen like the acorn cruncher. <laughs> guys, guys used to. I mean, dude, that was like a major thing in, especially like the '90s, like early bow hunting type stuff. His guys would have. I think my dad would do it. He'd have a, a pocket full of rocks when he was in an oak flat, mm. and like you know, if there was a buck out of range or something, he would just start throwing rocks out of his pocket and sound like, and it would draw a buck in. Yeah, there's some guys that drop persimmons in the south out of their tree stands and stuff <laughs> to try to pull a deer in closer. Yeah. I've seen a lot, of, a lot of different stuff. Yeah, happen. I uh, where I the part of Iowa's I hunt like it's really diverse up here, so I can get from hill country to open country where there's not really that many oaks, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And for me, when the acorns are dropping, I I tend to leave that area and go more towards where there's no oaks because I think it's more patternable to get on that buck because when you got a thousand trees dropping, yeah. it takes a lot of time to get in there to find that one feed tree that they're hitting on really hard where I feel like I got better luck just counting on the corn somewhere where there's not going to be any oaks at at all. Yeah. I can relate to that for sure. So in your open stuff, are you, um, because there's not many oaks, I mean, what, what, what's your hunting strategy there? I mean, I assume it's like big CRP fields and crop fields and things like that. I mean, is it on the ground stuff or are you finding that small group of trees to try to get up in? What, what are you looking for? Yeah. I'm hunting junk trees, man. Like, uh, honey locust trees, yeah. hedge apple trees, like just gnarly, nasty, whatever I can get in trees. Sometimes I might be a foot off the ground and other times nine foot. Uh, there's a lot of uh, walnut trees in Western Iowa and Central. Yep. You can get into some walnuts. Uh, the honey locust pods too. They'll, oh, they'll yeah. shift almost like acorns and early. It's got that green mash kind of in it. They'll break off and go hit those really hard. So I really look for those uh, honey locust groves pretty hard for early season too. Do you still see like in those big open areas when you've got a small tree row, whether it's, you know, honey locust or Osage, do you still see the deer kind of hug to that structure when they're moving? Yeah, they use it as like security cover. The younger deer don't do it as much, but if you get a mature buck four and a half plus, he'll hug really tight. Even if that fence line's only a couple yards wide he'll hold on to that thing he won't usually break more than like 20 yards off of that hmm. he'll stay on it the whole time the hunter podcast is brought to you by hoyt archery dude where would we be without our hoyt bows probably shooting crossbows or, or a matthews <laughs> yeah <laughs> one in the same 
But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. amazing how like you know that same animal you know 100 miles from this spot from this spot and just how different their behavior is how much they have to adapt to the environment basically um well dude even from this time of year until like october you know we're only a month and a half out or whatever less than that less than that yeah uh they're like a totally different animal well, we talked about it, and so we've got... Look at them now, even trying to age these suckers, where I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Three, four, and then you see it in the season, you're like, oh, that's yeah. a horse. Yeah, clearly mature. We talked about it in a lot of this big ag country, in that, you know, you it's, it's almost hard to imagine what it looks like come, you know, the first week in November, because it's, there's corn and cover everywhere, like everywhere. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like almost a barren landscape to it. It's like, well, he's got to be in there. There's no other place for him to be. It's there in this drainage ditch. Like that's it. Yeah, pretty much. And you really got to be paying attention because that shift happens quick. And there's a lot of shifts in there in a little small window. So if you're going to take advantage of something, you can't be sitting on the couch like we were talking about. You got to be super aggressive because you might only have like, a weak window on one food and a weak window on the next. And he's shifting around. He's scouting his rut range. Cause, uh, usually like November, November 5th, if I'm on a buck in October, that's when I usually lose them about that November 5th day. And I usually never see him again. They're mm. doing whatever they're doing. Hmm. And uh, what's, so what's your camera strategy when you're trying to adapt all these spots? I mean, do you've got, do you have cell cameras and spots or using standard cameras and just planting them and coming back and checking at some point? What's your, What's your plan there? So really isolated areas that I think are sensitive or like open country where the deer can see a mile away. I, I tend to run cell cams mm-hmm. and they're more set up for where I think the deer's going to shift into depending on what food source is there. And then the SD card cameras, I run them more like on overlook spots, uh, stuff right by the road. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm working my way in the hunt somewhere, I'll put them on the route to my way in just to see if I can pick up something that's just using a field at night or something. Gotcha. But the cell cams are more like in the, the kill zone, you know, that hundred yards out of bedding, I think around the perimeter and the SD card cameras are more like, well, this buck's getting here at 2 AM. You know, I'm probably not killing him unless I'm going I agree. 500 yards or more to mm-hmm. figure out where he's at. Hmm. Do you know, it's actually been huge for me this year. I never realized how much I would benefit from it until I started using it. Uh, who's, who's makes that, uh, is a hunter specialties makes that steak. HME. HME, uh, makes like, and I know a couple different companies make them. It's just a Bog little, makes one. It's a little iron rod with a, you know, quarter yeah, inch screw or whatever. Dude. I mean, the original one was like, uh, pick and stick. Yeah. Pick and stick is it their own brand or whatever. Yeah. But I, I have always, like, I never used them until this year. I've always just, you know, took a machete with me, basically. And you have to, like, find a tree that's on the edge and then, like, get back to it and then clear the stuff in front of it. It's kind of a huge pain in the butt, you know, especially in some of that farm country stuff. My yeah. word. Yeah, I I bought a box of them. I, 
relatively cheap. They're like ten bucks, fifteen mm-hmm. bucks a piece. Fifteen bucks, yeah. Don't buy it. Yeah, you'll see them at uh, yeah for like thirty nine or, like, or no, something no, no, like that. Like, yeah, that's stupid. Just so I, I go. Bu- go ahead. Sorry, I go buy some uh, uh like T posts cheap at the farm there store. There you go. Yeah, I, I just zip tie the cameras to them and shove them down in the ground. There you go. Field it. Well, that's because you're giant, Rendell. You just take the freaking T-post yeah, and just pushes it, pushes it down with his hand. Like a freaking uh, We're out there with driver. a T-post driver. Yeah. Well, so these, these stakes are real nice because it just has a little foot thing. I can just, wherever I want, I can just plant it right in yeah. there. So like, you know, last week or whatever, when I was going around scouting, it's like, there would be no way, and I've done it before, you know, hang cameras on like the corn stalks, bundle them all up and stuff. But then yeah. it's, you know, the wind's throwing it all off, and it's like I could just literally put that camera exactly where I needed to be, and it's it's quick and dirty, and th- those have been huge for me this year. Yeah, the electric fence T-posts, they're plastic, yeah, and they yeah. got the step. You can just stab them right down and zip-tie the camera on. Are they sturdy enough, though? I would think your camera your camera would be like, ooh. ooh. Uh, pretty decent if you got it set up right. You can always run a little piece of rebar in the back of the stake. Yeah. Probably. But that's a lot to carry out there. So, I mean, it depends. I usually hang my cameras pretty high, like 10 foot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's average. like you just reaching straight up, though. I mean, Jared and I are <laughs> on each other's shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, his, I'm on his shoulders trying to get it up there. Imagine Rendell just <laughs> holding a ball away from us. Yeah, I do that a just lot. Just grab it. I use a couple different mounts. That good sit mobile guy makes like a mount that you can screw oh, yeah. against a tree. It'll angle it with the laser. I like those a lot. Oh, wow. Fast for me to put up in the tree and keep going. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, the one thing we've talked about, and and I don't know, I mean, I haven't paid attention to it enough, but I'm sure it does is like, especially with the cell cams is like our mature box really starting to get weirded out. Are they able to detect whatever, some sort of frequency? And I would think elevating the camera in a tree like that would absolutely, just like us being in the tree as a hunter, right? Would, uh, you know, reduce that spook or whatever sixth sense that they may have around it versus, you know, an eye level straight on, it's looking right at you coming down the trail type of thing. I mean, in my experience, I've ran SD card cameras low and I've had deer negative react to those too. They smell my scent on it or they get wigged out. Then I never see the buck again, but running the cameras high for a year or two, I've never had a buck look up at the camera, even though it was there, they just go right by it. And my thing is on the frequency, I, mean, I don't know what to really think on that because your cell phone's going off. A yeah. deer would never come by me if they could sense that. So you got all the cell phone waves every day going around. Mm. Guys are filming with cell phones. So even though my camera's not right there, I got my cell phone and I'm filming. It's not like spooking the doe. I don't think they're detecting like that's true. The, the waves to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I think, um, you know, even with like a, you know, whatever the blackout or, you know, blacked out infrared, like they still, they know it's there. I mean, you could tell when it goes off. I mean, whether it's the, just the red edge around the black, they, they know that camera is there and they know what's going off, you know, whatever they're seeing via their cones and rods in their (laughs) eyes. I don't know. They're like, Ooh, yeah, ah, they, they know what's happening. ah, So, you know, (laughs) did you get that one? Mm. So that's where it's hard is like, you know, are they avoiding it? I don't know. I mean, I've had giant bucks just crush scrapes day after day in front of a cell camera, you know, are there bucks that I never see on camera? 
I I don't know. I not, doubt not it. Not that you never see, but I mean, if your cameras are always in the same places, yeah, you're probably at a disadvantage. Yeah, I believe that they they avoid the camera once they know it's there. I've yeah. blasted some. I was on this 200 inch buck, and I had my camera right on his exit route, and then I was I got a couple photos of him, and then I was like, what the heck? Like, is he still there or not? So I went and I glassed it, and he was coming down the exit trail, and then he was looping out around my camera. Oh yeah. Every single time. So he knew wow. the camera was there, but I had it low. And I think they interact with your scent at the camera site. Yep. And it like they remember that your scent was right there. For sure. So I don't know if it's as much the camera as just the human interaction. Yeah. And I think that, it, I've, in fact, I just had uh, one last night. I think the biggest kind of indicator of that is I've had bears come up to my camera like literally two months after I've touched that thing and they're all over that camera. And I don't think it's because of a, you know, they're hearing it or I think it's scent. They know that I've touched it. My sense on it still, it doesn't matter how much rain and how much, whatever they're all over it. And I, they know it. And I mean, I think it's probably the same with the deer. Don't, don't bears have some kind of like tendency towards like plastics and rubbers and stuff like towards wanting to get into that. Mm-hmm. They say, curious animals like when they see oh, it visually, sure. they want to play with they want to eat toy. it they're just like big raccoons yeah I, I i do think that to the point of them avoiding it um it's and it's the downfall of cell cameras is and guilty of it myself but you start hunting that cell camera and and waiting for the pattern to form and that deer is just avoiding it out of range and so you're waiting for a pattern to form that probably is already happening uh, and you just, yeah. you're like, oh, he's not there. I'm not seeing him. To your point, Randall, if you didn't go out and glass it, like you would have thought that deer was gone. He was out of there. Yeah, for sure. It's only like a 20 yard window into the woods. What's happening. Exactly. That's why if you go in season, you scout, you find the sign. I just, I'm just going to hunt it instead of relying on the camera anymore. And I'll, I'll use myself as the dictation on if the buck's big enough to kill or not. Like when he comes through that first time, I'll be like, yep. I'm going to shoot him or no, I'm going to pass on him. Yeah. And then keep, and then I'm, and then I might drop the camera while I'm there and I already hunted it. My scent was already there instead of like, Oh, the buck already picked me off cause I'm not there. So then I'll hang the camera up just to observe the spot after I leave mm-hmm. to see if something bigger shows up that I might've missed. But I'm more of that one picture guy. Like I just want that mm-hmm. one photo. If I can get the one photo, I'm just going to, use the timestamp and the wind direction to kind of dictate where I think he came from and how far. And then I'm going to use woodsmanship to go kill him. Cause I feel like woodsmanship, we're getting so far away from that. Like I want to, as I get older and more in my hunting career, I'm going the other way. I'd rather get more into woodsmanship and get away from technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you, when you get that one picture, so let's say you get that picture, you, you look and say, okay, it's this time, this is the win. Are you banking on that, that buck utilizing that bedding area? Like that it, he's, it's more of a primary bedding area or a primary feed source. And that's what you're connecting your dots to. Yeah. I'm going to figure, I'm going to try to bank on the bedding area for that win that he's going to constantly use it. Cause it's probably his best bedding spot for that wind if he's mature. And he'll just keep going back to it. So I'm just going to dive right back in there on that next same wind I get and try to figure out a setup. And I might put, and I'll push further back than the camera yeah. to try to, because a lot of those bucks, you know, they don't even make it about a hundred yards before dark. So you got to sure. kind of get in that bubble. Yeah. I think that's the, um, 
and guilty of it, but that's the over analysis or, or the overthinking that killing these big mature bucks is that, you know, it, it, they're, they're creatures of habit, you know, and that ultimately when you get these data points and you start thinking, okay, well maybe he did this, right? It's like, just break it down to the simplistic format that if it's whatever, let's say it's 2am, you know, or, or let's say it's 5am, he's heading back into a bedding area. He's not far from it at that point. Here's what the wind looks like. Look at the aerial. You probably have a pretty good chance if you put a circle on the map of where he's bedding. Now how you approach that and how you hunt it, different ball game. But I think we often are just, you get those pictures and then it's like, okay, uh, and then you just, it just blows up and you overthink it and you, you try to form a strategy that frankly is more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. When I start overthinking, that's when I do my worst hunting. When yeah. I just go with my gut and my instinct and I'm just walking through the woods and you're that voice in your head's just like sit here. Yeah. Like every time I overthink it and don't sit there, the buck usually goes right by the spot yeah. where my brain is like, Oh, you should just sit here. Cause I think, when you get experience, your mind's just analyzing all the data in real time and you're not even really having to think about it. It's kind of like muscle memory. Yep. And your mind's just like, oh, getting that tree right there. Yep. And then uh, there's some strategies too versus the morning versus evening pick. If I get a morning picture that day, I'm going to look to see if there's going to be a wind shift. If there's going to be a major wind shift, I'm going to set up to the bedding I think he's going to shift to and try to cut him off on the shift. But if it's a steady wind, the same direction, I'm going to hunt that afternoon on that setup for that same wind. And if it's an evening photo, you got to wait to see like, okay, when am I getting that next wind again? It might be a couple days later, mm -hmm. but you got to move quick because that shift and the food source is changing a little bit, unless you got knowledge of the area, like he's just going to be ingrained mm -hmm. in that bedding area, no matter what. So there's a, there's a lot of situational tactics that you kind of got to think, think through. There's no like one-stop shop. Yeah. On the camera stuff. Um, I, cause I've run into this quite a bit. Like it's kind of a conundrum on, you know, I think we all think that, you know, whether it's because of, uh, they smell it or there's something with the EMF frequency or whatever, but like we all kind of agree, like they know the cameras are, are there, D you know, do you avoid putting those like right at your can at your stand locations? Like if you have a, like a spot picked out in mind, like, will you purposely say like, Oh, I don't want to put a camera here. Cause I don't want to booger it or. I have done that. Or if I find a big set of tracks going into a spot, if I verified the deer in some way ahead of time, I don't need the camera to verify the size of the deer. I'm basing my woodsmanship to tell me, all right, I think this is a mature buck. He's using this bedding area. Only mature bucks do, or it's a giant track or I glass the deer, like I already seen the deer, or if I uh, was hunting and I seen the deer like 500 yards away, pop out of the woods and do something like I already have verification that the deer is there. I don't need a picture because then you won't run into setting your sin in there when you're putting a camera, yeah. you should just go hunt the deer. I think that's the, there's, there's kind of two, um, I guess it'd be two concerns, right? The concern number one is, you're hunting in an area that the big buck doesn't exist, right? You're basically hunting a ghost and wasting time. That that would be one concern I think most of us would have. The second one, and and you know, not to sound like pickier or egotistical about it, is that you end up shooting a buck that's not the biggest buck in the area, right? Which is why most of us use cameras and stuff, is we want to know like 
you know, should I hold out on this deer because there's this deer as well type of thing. Yeah. So I think those are, those are the two concerns that you have to try to figure out to solve for. And if, you know, let's say you see a, a giant buck track, well, there's a big buck in there. It's just, is there a bigger one in there? You know, and that's, that's the, it ultimately comes down to when you see them, is it going to satisfy you? Like, is that what you're looking for? It doesn't matter if there's a 200 inch in the area. If a 180 comes by, I'm probably killing a 180. I'm not going to pass them necessarily. Yeah, so. that's what I did. I mean, I was on that 200 inch buck and then that buck right there came out and I shot him instead. Yeah. So, it, but it's all personal choice. I mean, you got to be disciplined and have faith in your hunting skills and ability that if you pass a 160, you know what you're doing. Like you chose to pass the deer. That was your choice. And you're going to go find something bigger. Yeah. But you have to be in places that have bigger deer. Like you got to keep moving. That's why. I kind of like that inventory deal where I got like 10 bucks that I wouldn't mind killing. And you might have bigger deer. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, I love that. I like yeah. that. That should be like, if you ever do yeah. a, a website, is it just be Rendell's list of bucks you wouldn't mind killing? <laughs> yeah. So like two years ago, I found 15 bucks over 150. Yeah. So that you wouldn't I, mind and I was fine with killing any of them. And that's how I can be like, I'm more aggressive on them because I have, you got other if ones. I blow one up, I'm just going to bounce to the next. Like, and you've not, got two buck tags, right? Well, you got one bow and one gun tag. You can use the gun tag Lights, late yeah. muzzleloader, but it's like 20 below zero and there's no cover. And it's you're from the South. Harder. We get it. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm that way too. I'm that way too, Rendell. Like I, as much as I think it's cool, like to be able to, you know, if I could target one buck and like, that's the buck. Yeah. I think the primary motive motivator for me is I'm not the only one hunting our, our properties. And so it's like, what am I going to do? Tell everybody else, Hey, that's my, yeah, gear. that's, that's a tough piece. Cause I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm a one buck. Like as soon as I see the buck I want to kill, that's the only deer I even think about. Yeah. Like, I just, everything else is out the window. Now, if there's another great buck in the area and he comes by, I'm not saying I wouldn't kill him, but I'm hunting that buck. Yeah. But I kind of like when I see another one, I'm like, what? this is a pretty nice buck too, though. I kind of like it. I wouldn't mind killing I mean, him Rendell, either. Rendell would say he wouldn't mind I, killing this one. I wouldn't mind yeah. killing that one either. I did that last year. I got locked on this one buck. And, man, he took me to school. <laughs> he kicked my ass pretty much. Mm. But And I was like, oh, I messed up. Like right when I got zoned in a tunnel vision on this one deer, like I had other big bucks in other areas, but I was so locked in on this buck i was like i i messed up like i should have hunted him when i could and then when i got closer to red i should have bounced out and just started freestyle hunting instead of locking in on him so much yeah but, i mean the, the good thing is he'll be bigger this year if he made it through well and that's it as long as you felt like you were in the game it's great i think all of us have probably thought we were hunting a giant buck and he he wasn't there whether he got killed or he moved out and now you're spending days and weeks on end hunting a ghost which is well, the worst and i guess it's like with spots so like my question about would you put a camera at your spot is like like literally right now it's like i found these white oaks on these field edges mm -hmm. with trails coming out of bedding areas that i'm like it's a killer spot like it's there's gonna be so i put a camera there and i have a stand there yep and i'm like you know the camera's gonna tell me if there's a deer there that i want to hunt or not yeah so I, I in my mind that's better than just hunting the spot, hoping that a good deer is there mm -hmm. when there's other spots to hunt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you need validation. But I do feel like, man, if I knew the buck was there and I could do without the camera on that, like, because I do think it, it boogers them a little bit. 
I think you're a month, uh, if you're a month out from season, I say go for it. If you're closer than that, it's not worth me putting my scent in there to put the camera up. I'm just going to hunt it and do observation sits and uh, glass. Oh, really? If you're, yeah. Like I don't, cause your scent will hold like a month. Well, how do you, you how do you feel about what I was saying earlier about a scouting loop? Or, did you hear me say that? Where I'm like, dude, getting into season, like October 1st or October 15th, I'm not afraid to like, you know, because I got ground to cover. I'll get on the ranger or something. And I'll just go, I'll just go scout as much real time sign as I can. You know, kind of not worrying about if I'm in there one time, I'm not worried yeah. about it. Yeah, if I'm doing that, I'm usually hunting if I find something right away. If you're a month out from season, you can't hunt. You're just putting your scent in there, and you can't hunt that sign sure. or that spot right away. So you're just, I think you're just messing it up more than you're helping yourself. Well, the difference, though, is, like, if you're hunting, you're moving. Chances are yeah. slow. You know, you want to cautiously be moving into an area. When I'm doing a scouting loop, I'm covering covering ground. Like Who I, does speed scouting? Is that Eberhardt? Barry Wenzel, Eberhardt. Yeah. Uh I know some guys that don't do it. You know, there's your Mark Drury's, your, you know, stay out of it completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a hitter. And I think it depends on how you're doing it. Like you on the side-by-side or if you're on an e-bike, you're not really leaving any scent because you're you're not really walking around. If you're just... And I'm not pushing into, like, bedding areas either. Yeah. I'm just hitting, like, field edges, like, you know, places where I know I can pick up sign and use that to read what's, what's going on deeper. Yeah. And if you're hunting public, other guys are probably doing that. So, yeah, I'd run around uh, on field edges and stuff, but I don't want to go into, like, close to bedding. Yeah, or, yeah uh, totally get that. Stuff. So, but I usually just wait to get in there right when season opens. That way, when I find it, I can just hunt it right away. If I do speed scouting, I usually just drive around blocks because I was, like, yeah. uh, mile-by-mile grid squares. Yep. Yeah. And I'll just use glassing and driving around. And I kind of already got that figured out in the summer, though, like, Right now, my summer scouting is basically checking food sources and I'm marking them on the map, what's where, and then I'm doing glassing and then I'm seeing, okay, there's a big buck on beans, like I said, and then I think he's going to shift to this cornfield. So I might already have my camera in that cornfield where I think the best spot is waiting to see if I pick him up when he shifts into the corn. And if I never pick him up, then he might have shifted somewhere else and I'll just pop off him. And I'll just go, you know, I'll go check all my areas where I think bucks are shifting into. It really is crazy. Like, I know it's it's one thing to say that deer shift, like from a, fall, a summer range to a fall range. But if you can actually, if you have the opportunity to observe a real shift, like, it's pretty amazing how extreme that is sometimes. Like, I've got pictures of a deer right now that I think is, is probably, I think he's four. Uh, and he is he's probably two miles like as a crow flies from, and it's just patchy, you know, it's ag country from where he spent most of October, November last year. And yeah. I just think that's super interesting. It's crazy. I assume he'll do the same thing this year. I don't, I think, um, you know, even with how in tune we are into like the local neighborhoods and, and you know, what people are killing around our properties or where we're at, I think, you know, immediately, you know, the buck from last year doesn't show up this year. We're like, he's dead. He got killed, whatever. I think, uh, far more than we all probably want to admit that deer just moves out and he could come back or he just stays moved out until he does get killed. But he, he doesn't, he didn't necessarily die. Like immediate, I wouldn't say it was like a year or two ago. It was like any mature deer that I had last year that didn't come back. I'm like, he's dead. 
Like that was just my immediate thought. And like, I think through just some of the research and hearing what other people have been talking about, it's like, you know, that dude just picks up and moves, you know, for whatever reason, something, something changed. I think it uh, herd dynamic plays a major role. Yeah. Like, you know, the older them bucks get, you know, the gnarly bully bucks or whatever, they will yeah. cause other deer not to. Yeah, and those not six to and seven year old bucks don't want to be out there fighting and burning energy and stuff like that. They just they just want to go and do their thing. They want to be left alone and they want to eat and breed when they can, and that's it. I don't care about anything else. Preach, yeah. yeah. Don't don't we all? <laughs> that's when you find them. Breed when we can. Lots like CRP or yes. like a little. A little tiny, like half acre wood lot, yeah, two hundred in it because he's isolated by himself. And uh, even though I hunt mostly public land, I do listen to a lot of land management guys that pay attention to the shifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because uh, ag country, they shift way more often. Because I'll see if you got a summer buck on your property out here, he's probably going to be gone. Like come fall time, yeah, mm-hmm. like a. Buck, a buck today is gone tomorrow is what I believe out in big ag. But if you're in like big woods country, I don't think they shift as far. Uh, no. I agree. Uh, yeah. Ag. I don't think so. Cause most of my hunting is in big woods. And like, I will say like, I've got some bucks on my properties right now. Um, but I bet the majority of deer I hunt in the fall are not far from ra- me right now. They're just not on my property. And so they'll shift, but it's really not a shift as much as it is just an expansion of the home range. Mm-hmm. They'll still occupy where they were in the summer. It's just now that's going to expand out and cover my property or whatever else. Um, the bucks that I see right now, they're home bodies. I'll, I'll have them the whole season, basically. Like they, they, they'll go and visit other properties, but they'll still be on my property. So it's weird. I, I don't see those, those big fall winter shifts as much as I just see expansion of home range. Yeah. Yeah. We're out here. They'll be, I buck and move five miles. And that's what Jared's seeing too in the ag side. I mean, if you think about it, what is five miles really? Like we, we could walk five miles in a couple hours, not not 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a four minute mile. (laughs) You better be in the, I was using using Rendell's stride. stride. I get it. Rendell could walk. Yeah. 20, 20 20 miles miles in two minutes. I got it. Yeah. Less than two hours, I can walk. I well, can rock five miles pretty easy. See, there you go. exactly. So what I'm saying is, like, <laughs> think about under cover of darkness. Like, dude, it's yeah. nothing oh, for it's a buck nothing. to go. Kansas has been the place that has really opened my eyes up to that. Because I mean, there's been times that super high, like six point. He was like down in this bottom by me. By the time I came up to, I don't know, was picking up you or my dad. He's two miles away in the in a matter of 35 minutes. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, well what's there's nothing stopping them it's it's just pasture and crp it's well, just and under cover of darkness i mean that's the that's the biggest difference it's like it's during the day you can look around and be like well he's not gonna cross here or this but dude when it's dark they'll go they'll anywhere. go anywhere. they'll walk right in your backyard like it's they don't care yeah yeah and they move fast i've seen them even like jog like trot just to get to places yeah. man and they're moving fast i think that you mentioned uh what did you call it log long lining is that what you were saying yeah. or that's it that was pretty unfamiliar to me for a long time and then the uh i really picked up on it i guess in some of the late season type stuff but um those deer that do the long lining meaning they found that that primary habitat for bedding there it's undisturbed it's the everything's the right conditions the wind the direction their viewpoint security and then they're willing to sacrifice distance to food source especially during the fall um, to long line out from that secure bedding. Cause they're going to spend 
what, 70% of their day in that bed. You know, the other 30% is when they're out moving and, and getting food and, you know, checking for does or whatever they're doing. So I, I think that that concept, especially in ag country, is very underrealized. Um, where people will say, well, you know, that buck's betting two miles over here. Like it, uh, on the right morning, you'll catch him in your alfalfa field. He'll be there. You know, it's just, it just depends on that time. He's willing to sacrifice being out and moving even in daylight hours as long as he can spend the majority of his bed in a secure place. I think we see that out in the like Western U.S. in like North Dakota. Those deer yeah, are basically weird. long lining from mm-hmm. bluffs to alfalfa to back the bluffs. Mm-hmm. That's where you can use your weather hunting. Like you can predict the cold front, whatever's going to slow him down a little bit. Yes. And then if you get a long lining buck, I think that's the buck you want to hunt in the morning. No doubt. You just get in that little bedding area. He's two miles away, but you got to get in there like two o'clock in the morning and get set up and watch your thermals, the wind, because yep. he's going to do a little day hook. So if there's some type of terrain where you can kind of, uh, funnel him into that bed that you can use to your advantage. I like to hunt those in the morning just because yep. I feel like they're more bulletproof. And then he'll come on a cold front, man. He might not get back till, I don't know, an hour after. Exactly. Because yep. on a normal day, he's probably in that bed before daylight and you have to be in, you have to beat him back to the bed. Yeah. And I think on some of the, some of those ones where he gets hung up, even if let's say you're on public and he's bedding on private, there's public that could be in between where he's at and where he's going that you could intercept him in daylight hours. Especially towards the end of October, he's maybe making some scrapes. Exactly. Have you ever, so you don't have to be right on the bed. You can catch him in between the long line somewhere. Have you ever done that? Rendell? Have you ever killed a, a buck coming back to his bed? Uh, I've mostly just killed them coming out. Mm -hmm. I've not, uh, had too many morning hunts really where I got on bucks right in the bedding area. I I try it, but it usually just a disaster for me. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've killed bucks in the morning, you know, don't get me wrong, but they were, they were cruising. Like they weren't. Mm-hmm. I've heard guys talk about like, you know, setting up on the buck bedding I mean, areas, it's, the it's, J-hook. It's you know. the more, it's like first You've never thing. done it, have you? Uh, probably by luck. That one, that 157 I killed on Kansas Public was probably coming back to his bed. You think? That one down that bottom. Yeah, for sure. Because he was just, he, was, he wasn't, he was just kind of lumbering his way right at daybreak back into that thick area. Where do you think he would have ended up bedding? Uh, behind Bernie's. Just up in that uh, mm-hmm. teardrop? Like mm-hmm. where that buck that winded me come out of? Yep. Going right up in there. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Because that wind but was But you were coming. pretty far from that. Yeah, two, 250, 300 yards. Yeah. But I mean, it was the, like, I didn't even realize how big he was when I first saw him. It was still dark, mm-hmm. you know, and as he got closer and under, I mean, he walked right under the stand. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that saved me is there's that ditch. My wind was pulling into that ditch and he was up on the ditch. Mm-hmm. So if my wind was pulling back in and he was up on it and he walked, you know, yeah. never well, had that's, a chance. That's doable. You know, I think I may have done it without knowing too, is killed a buck in the morning, like on just a, a pinch point, like a terrain mm-hmm. feature mm-hmm. where yeah. he's going back to bed, but never, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's guys that actually will go and maybe have had success, like hanging over the bed, basically it's sure. like trying to beat them in there. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. Who are, I've, done it, I've done it a lot, but I've never, no, it's something always happens that just screws me honestly. What? Like yeah. in the ag country, in the ag country, it's really hard to cut off their J hook. It's I think where you're at is more, uh, 
hill country, I think you can get it done a little bit better than ag, just, unless you got like drainage ditches and stuff. But all the does are what usually get me because all the does will be out in the ag fields while I'm in the tree. And you got to blow your wind somewhere <laughs> or your thermals will drop and it'll kind of do that thermal flood. Mm -hmm. And then the bed's right under you. What's but that? Know, like, Is that a uh, thermal flood? Yeah, so if you don't really have any wind, your scent's still dropping down with the thermals, but it'll like flood the area almost like a fog. Oh yeah, and it'll just hover there like it's not moving somewhere. Yeah, or you can get it where uh, Andre DeQuisto talks about uh, thermal pooling, where a draw can only hold so much air, or like a creek or something. And then when it fills up with its capacity of air, it'll flood back out into the field in front of you. Mm -hmm. So you think your sense good, but it's actually pushing it back up mm. into the field in front of you. So when guys get busted, they're like, they don't understand. But a lot of it's that thermals is actually yeah. filling back out around you up onto like the field or whatever you're trying to avoid. Those thermals definitely have like a, a major factor. The thermals and terrain. Those are the two things like you can, you're playing a wind direction but when it comes to the thermals and then however that terrain is going to deflect that it it's yeah. if you've ever hunted a ridge with a you know when the thermals are rising like on a november morning yeah. it's like there's nothing like it it's like yeah nothing can touch nothing smells nothing. you nothing knows you're there but then there's other days and it's, it's hard to know you know frankly i've yet to fully master or understand when they will rise and when they will fall other than typically in the morning mornings and evenings, but not always yeah. you know yeah weather conditions and, and rain. if those thermals are falling like it almost just seems like you're screwed like no matter what well i mean that's the the one thing that i've started to find more and for good reason is you find these big community scrapes where the terrain all kind of comes down and all, that's your thermal hubs that exactly you're talking about yeah now yeah. try to hunt that damn thing yeah it's, it's nearly it's impossible you know, I mean, it, it's it it's that way and and that good for a reason it, to get in yeah. there and try to hunt that thing. Even if you come straight up in through a creek, like there's still a chance that things are going to switch and that deer is going to come in from behind to try to work. You know, that thermal coming and down. And they will, and, yeah, if it can go. Yeah, right, and he's he's going to. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know, that's a perfect place where if I could get a camera in from an ob observational side, I'll do it. And then I'm going to have to play one of the ridge tops to try to kill that deer. Yeah. Cause, uh, sometimes the buck won't even move into that thermal hub until after the thermals change and he'll come on that high ridge trail and then he'll scent check that whole hub and then he'll drop down. Into exactly. It. Or you gotta have like a high pressure day with no wind. It'll pull your thermal straight up. You can kind of get away with it or the winds blowing right down the hub. So you're essentially walking into the hub with the wind in your face and you're getting set up. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Hubs are really hard. I'd rather hunt on the outside of them. But that, I think yeah. hubs, hubs is the thing this year. Everyone's talking it about It is, man. Yeah. So I've been looking at maps and uh, deciphering where do I think the buck's going to shift when all these guys start going in here and hunting these hubs and blowing them out. I'll tell you where I've found it, at least, Rendell, is that it's these these saddles on the ridges right above. So wherever you can find, like, here's where the hub, here's where everything's going to drop. Now, look, and it's, like, dead level, and then there's this little saddle in between these two, basically these two hubs. That deer is going to want to come up and across there. He's just going to want to, or he's going to be coming along the ridge and drop into there. And so if yeah. you can get there when that thermal's rising up, he thinks he's getting the advantage by catching all the thermal up. Meanwhile, you're still up above him and that's your, that's your dead shot. But you know, 
it's uh, the hardest part for a lot of those is most of those hubs are deep or deeper, right? So it's even on the ridges, you're going you're gonna to have to be going through quite a bit of stuff to try to get access into them if they're a good one and not overpressured on public, especially. I mean, um, you could be like Bill Winky and sleep out there. Well, that's what I was going to say. I just saw his, I watched his video Creeks and ditches, that baby. went through everything about, you know, if you, if he's there and you can't get in without spooking him, you got to sleep there. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. You could, I guess. It what it takes, man. I would do it in a heartbeat. I actually thought about sleeping in a spot this year where I was chasing that buck last year. There's a. I think I'm going to walk out in the cornfield and like make a little area, like kind of trim it. And then I'm going to sleep right in the cornfield. Somebody's going to think you're a freaking Sasquatch coming out of there. <laughs> you're just going to hear like, in the middle of the night, you're just going to hear a combine. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Like I'll probably get run over out there sleeping. Yeah. You'll see me on the news. It's not a, I mean, especially when you start talking about like, if you know, you've got, let's say a bedding area that you're going to kill that buck. He's out of there, but he's coming back. And you know you have to be in there, let's say, 2 a.m. You know, heading back out there and, and getting in there and just kind of tucking yourself in is not the worst idea in the world. Um, you know, to, maybe you're hunting here in the evening, and then you get out and you work your way over there, and you're yeah, in it. It's like, it's a long season. Like, there's, I mean, there'll be plenty of opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> you really have you to sleep out there. It's usually to kill that deer. So if you got to do it, you got to do it. But uh Circling back to Jared's question about killing the buck in the morning, if you watch the tethered video of uh, when Jared Schaefer came up here, uh-huh. we actually did that. We sh- uh, He shot that buck long line and back to a bedding area in the morning. We set up in a spot that I knew about, and then uh, observation sit, basically. We seen the bucks the morning before. We seen what they did, and then we made a plan. Then he moved in. And the next, he uh, snort wheezed that buck in when he was long lining back to his bed. Was he going to bed on private or public? It was public land. You just got, he just got in between. Yeah. Yeah. Between like the food and the the bedding. It was uh, like Halloween. So they're kind of like, he was slow hitting scrapes on the way back. Yeah. And there's not much better than that. I mean, that, that, that is the time to figure it out when it comes in. Yeah. It is. you, you, You talked about the everybody you know, discussing the hubs. It does seem like that has all of a sudden become the craze. It's like, okay, you know, this is the hub. This is how these, and it's like, yeah, but again, like, you know, how you hunt those things and how you hunt them effectively is a whole different ballgame. And you get one person that doesn't know how to hunt a hub, he's going to ruin it for the rest. He's going to walk his butt right down in and head put right up over that community scrape. And it's, it's dead. Yeah, and sometimes it's better to hunt. Like, if I know what other people are doing, I'm going to do the opposite and look for different areas where people aren't going to be at. That's where those overlook road spots and stuff come into play. People walk right by and they're going to, they're like, oh, I got to get two miles in here and stuff. And meanwhile, there's a great CRP field and a food source right here, and those deer are cutting right across. Yeah, in the morning I shot that buck. Uh, I hunted a, another spot close to the road, and I had a buck long line back in. But he zigged, and I thought he was going to zag, and mm. I didn't have to get shot on him. But he was a monster, too, so I was kind of sick. Yeah. But I made up for it in the evenings. I'm just – I I just like hunting in the evenings a lot more because I can see what I'm doing. I'm yeah, me too. Noise. 
in the morning, sometimes I get lost out there. Sometimes I'm like, I had a tree picked out and you're in the dark and you're like, oh, your I know, man. It's hard, man. I, one yeah, thing, I, if I, if I can't avoid it, I will is hanging a tree stand in the morning. I've, yeah. I've done it, but I just, yeah, I'd rather not. I just feel so exposed to like, once you get up in there and it's you're, the noise, you're like, oh, I can too. see really far here. And then you're like, probably anything that was out there, like could have seen me do yeah. this yeah. and. Or you got that frost on the ground in the morning. It's just uh, yeah. If I if I can, because I obviously prefer to be mobile. If I can, we it's it's a combination, right? It's a farm that we hunt. Uh, you know, have been hunting for, for years, so I have spots like on your your X marks the spots. You know, I've got edges and stuff that have set stands in them. Um, you know, so we'll hunt those from time to time. But if I have to, if I go and hang a stand, like I try to do it in the evening, yeah. and typically if i want to hunt that spot in the morning i'll i'll hunt it the night before too so i'll like i'll leave everything i'm a big fan yeah. of leave everything in the stand over it leave the bow hanging right there and yeah. hope it's not too That's windy and then get it in the morning if i think it's good enough for an evening sit i leave everything the bow i got a carabiner, a carabiner the bow on the tree so my bow doesn't get knocked off in the middle of the night by raccoons or something yep. yeah and it's, i'll come right back in the morning it's the little things in life, man. There's few people can appreciate like to be able to just crawl into a tree stand, clip in, and that's it. You're just in. sit down and you're hunting. You're like, that's that's a thing of beauty. Yeah, it'll spoil you when you're mobile and I'm running through stuff all the time, setting up every single time I hunt. So uh, yeah. sometimes it's nice to do that in the morning. Hey, you'll get a kick out of this, Randall. I sold my saddle. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> I know you're a big saddle guy. I was just, I was really, you know, get, trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then somebody was like, Hey, are you, were you serious about selling that? I was like, yeah, yeah, I sold it. Yeah. It takes some time, a learning curve. I don't know. It's all a tool, man. I've killed them out of ladder stands, hang on yeah. saddles. Like if you're a killer, you're a killer, man. It doesn't matter what you're using. I Personally. do get, I do get the bulk aspect of it. Like being able to to have a saddle and stuff. Like it's less bulk going in and things like that, and and quieter probably than than a hang on stand for sure. Um, but yeah, it just I think it just takes getting used to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of little adjustments like with the tether and tether height and where you have the saddle on your, and not all saddles are created equal either. There's sure. some saddles that are really good and some not so good. Yeah. But I will, uh, every now and again, I'll use a tree stand if I have the spot pre-scouted because sometimes this way it sets up, you might be one, you might want to be on the face of the tree in a tree stand or you got a cedar tree. Some of those head tr trees are hard to get in with the saddle. So sometimes I'll, throw the tree stand on and go but ah uh, man i just don't really like carrying it on my back it's just a big sure. profile so especially if you don't have to yeah i mean if you're yeah. planning on a saddle yeah it would suck to bring both but yeah saddle's more like just my running gun if i'm going in blind or if i know the spot has the saddle but i'll use the tree stand here and there but i just can't sit all day in a tree stand because i'm i'm so tall but I will say some of the newer tree stands got the higher seat post. Yeah. Like, you know, the 22, yeah. 23 inch. So yeah. my knee, I'm not eating my knees the whole time I'm sitting. Right. Mine and Jared's so, feet are basically dangling <laughs> off of those. Yeah, things. my legs are like <laughs> kicking like this. Yeah, mine are way off the front of those too. <laughs> the platform's really tiny. <laughs> but it's just all what you like to do, man. I just got used to saddle hunting and that's what I use, but I'll use a tree stand here and there. Don't I was matter. just giving I you a hard time. Figured you'd get a kick out of the fact that I was like through in the towel. I was like, not for me. <laughs> I'll hunt on the ground too, man. In the yeah. saddle, like stand on the ground with the saddle on, like it's just whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> why? Yeah. What's the point? Why? Why wouldn't that just stand against the tree? Uh, it's more comfortable for me to take my weight off. Yeah, I guess. Lean, yeah. lean back I into it. I get on the ground, ground. Like uh, Warp, Warp from Hunting Public. Yeah. Him and Ted, they'll get down on their knees, man, and sit their butt on their heels, you know. I can't do that, dude. I'd probably break my legs off if I tried to <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah my so feet would fall like, asleep probably doing that. Squat position. Yeah, make squat a small positions. Fire. I've dug some holes in the ground before then put my feet down in them and just put my butt flat on the ground, and then that's a lot better Ooh, for me. That has to be a deep-ass hole. Yeah. <laughs> It takes a while to dig it out. I'll, I'll carry a little military shovel with me. Somebody probably shovel with you. They're burying a body hey, out there. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, if I came across you digging a hole out in the woods, I'd be a little yeah. concerned. Yeah, not a good look, right? Yeah. Nick would be exactly. walking through the woods, falling your hole, and he couldn't get out. It'd be that deep. It'd be like a great <laughs> sinkhole. Uh, nice. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. So I assume you've been driving around in summer scouting so far, right? Yeah. What are you seeing? You don't have to tell us like uh, exactly, but what do you, what, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty damn good, man. <laughs> I got a couple. I got a couple. A couple megas. you wouldn't mind shooting. <laughs> yeah, they got me pumped, man. You feel like so I'm confident in the areas that they're in? Yeah, I know the area is pretty good where they live at. Are you familiar with them from past years? The 200-inch buck I am familiar with from my uh, past years, and that buck I was chasing last year too. Is it the He's same? Be like a, is it the same 200-inch, like the one that was 200 last year? You've got him again this year. Yeah. Yeah. And awesome. then a uh, 180, like 180-inch eight-pointer from last year Ooh. too. That I, I'm hey. back on him. Call him the mega. The yeah. Mega. He's huge. Huge daggers, huge mass. His main beam's almost touching the front. He's just a wild buck. You got you got any trail cam pictures yet, or just sightings? Uh, just sightings. I'm just doing observation sit, uh, cool. sits and glassing them the pickup truck. And so, do you anticipate those deer shifting pretty hard here before the season? Yeah, I think they're going to shift into the areas where I got my cameras. I'm just waiting for that shift. Interesting, man. It's kind of what I'm waiting. I put all my cameras the past week on like mock scrapes on green food sources on on acorn trees, and they're pretty dead right now. But yeah, within the next two three weeks, it's gonna shift. Hopefully, yeah. Isn't that crazy, man? That the amount of confidence you just have in like past history to know, like, okay, they're here. I'm gonna put my cameras and stuff here, and they're gonna shift there, and eventually I'll see them. Yeah, I mean, I think the older buck's a lot more patternable than a younger one, so I'm counting on him because they got corn back in there and i think that's the key and the honey locust pods are full on all the trees too in there so hmm. i think it's a one combo i think he'll shift in there wow 
That's crazy, man. We're so close, man. I feel like at this time we're just killing time with conversation <laughs> about like, is it, oh, oh, a couple, couple mm. more weeks, a couple more weeks. What bow are you, what bow are you shooting? Like an avatar bow or what? Adel, Adel. I got a Matthews, a Matthews Atlas 33 inch draw is what my draw Holy Jesus. An Atlas. Is that a new, yeah. an older bow? Or? What's a full shaft arrow? How long is a full shaft arrow? Oh, he doesn't even cut 32, them. 32 inch. And so is that what you're using? Yeah, I just used the full shaft, man. Do you have a... <laughs> Same here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you've got a 33-inch draw, do you have a freaking overdraw or something on that thing? I used to run an overdraw on uh, my old bow, and I was getting like 350 feet per second on my arrow. Oh, my word. Dude, you're going to hit a six-year-old buck, and he's just going to be taking <laughs> off his feet. He's like, was that a full shaft? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a zip right through them, man, at that speed. It looks like, like a spear. You know they how? usually just look around. They look around like, what the hell just happened? Jeez. Then they get the no way laser. I just got full bear shafted. <laughs> how how heavy is your is your whole arrow set up? 500 grains. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, a, so that's a heater, man. Are you What are you shooting, 70 pounds? 75. You could probably pull 80 if you wanted to. Yeah, I could pull you, you could probably be drinking whole milk if you wanted to. <laughs> well, I don't need eighty pounds on. I've got an eighty. I've got an eighty pound. Uh, if you're ready to Dude, you know, shoot a, a real man's bow, I'll, shoot you, I'll send you my RX five. It's got eighty pound limbs on it. Sweet. A full shaft. Yeah. A full shaft. That I'm dead serious. Coming out. I'm dead serious. If you wanted that bow, I'd give it to you. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think I could draw. I don't know what's the speed on that. What's the IBO on that bow? I don't know. Uh, the IBS probably three thirty, three thirties, yeah. yeah. Like so, yeah, for example, I'm shooting. I we just upgrade. I got the RX seven, and I'm shooting eighty pounds on it. I'm telling, dude, you could if I can pull eight pounds, you can pull eight pounds. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm shooting a five hundred grain arrow out of it. It's like a micro diameter, so most of my weight is up front, and it's we didn't chrono it, but I it's probably right at three hundred. Three hundred. Yeah. Yeah, my old bow with the overdraw, I cut my arrows to twenty eight inches, and they were Jesus. like four hundred grain. And dude, it just be blazing fast. Wow. They're probably picked up on like U.S. radar for missiles or something. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, this uh, pr propulsion force we've never seen before. <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. That's why I just shoot. That's why I just shoot mechanicals because at that speed, yeah, it just zips like throw. As what, do we. What broadhead are you shooting? Uh, G5 dead meat. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I've heard a lot of good things about that. that seems like a solid. Is that a hundred or hundred and twenty-five grain? I use a hundred grand. Yeah. I've used them uh, for like 12 years. They were T3s and then yep. it turned into the dead meat, dead meat V2. Did I they... use the mega meat too. Yeah. Oh, I thought that's what you said. What, what are dead you? meat? Oh, what's the difference between the dead meat the, and the mega meat? The mega meat's two inch cut. Uh, the dead meat's an inch and a half. Oh, okay. And which one are you shooting? I shoot the dead meat. The smaller one. I like it. I like it better than the bigger one. When you shoot them with that two inch diameter dead meat, I feel like they know they got shot more, so they just bolt out of there 100 mile an hour. Yeah, the full shot probably doesn't that, help. Yeah, when you, you zip them with that smaller head, they seem to stop and just look around, and you got a better chance for like a follow up shot. Oh, shoot, I'm bleeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if you need a follow up shot with that harpoon going through them. <laughs> Man, Usually you're... not, but some of these bucks I'm shooting are over 300 pounds, so I might shoot mm -hmm. them again just for good measure. Just like know? a volley, <laughs> like they release a couple arrows a year. 
Yeah, you're ripping, man, dude. If you if you could get up to eighty pounds, and I, I'd shoot to I'd shoot a hundred and twenty five pound mega meat, one hundred twenty five grain mega meat. If I were you, yeah, tear him a new one. <laughs> oh, they wouldn't even feel that shaft, dude. It, it would just be all blade. Their lungs would be yeah, nailed to the tree right. behind them. <laughs> They're like a, no field dressing required. With the mega meat, he didn't like that. Yeah, didn't like that. Ugh. That's a that's a heck of a setup though. It it's funny. I mean, when you get into some of these bows, we're talking, you know, obviously whether it's a Hoyt or a Matthews, I mean, they're just super good quality. The the arrow setup is the one that kind of boggles me because obviously you're in the same mindset Jared and I are, which is, you know, a, a lighter he arrow. Have a choice. The length of his yeah. of his arrow shaft is dictating yeah. the yeah. total weight. Good FOC in the front, um, and expandables. And then you get on this whole other side, you know, and frankly, Warb's on that train, which is like six hundred and fifty grain, single bevels, and it's like Pen- it's the penetration. I mindset. get it. Yeah, but I mean, when's the last time like we didn't get good enough penetration on a, a on a buck with our expandables? Well, well, my excuses poundage i mean i could get away and you know Sarah the, build the poundage, too. well yeah the poundage doesn't translate as much as i would like or what yeah. pe- people think you know it really is the foc that's built into the arrow so like while so we're both shooting 500 grain arrows mine's yeah. certainly shorter than yours i don't know what the total length is but um a, a vast majority of the weight is up at the front so i'm shooting 125 yeah. grain head with like yeah. an ethics archery, you know, an outsert that probably weighs, I don't know, 70, 70 grains or something. Yeah. So, so my forward or center percentage is, I mean, I mean, it's way up at the front. Yeah. It's way better than mine will be. Yep. But, 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 you know, that's, I'm, I mean, yours, yours sounds good too. What arrow are you good. shooting for that full shaft? Uh, the new zinger arrows, they're, Contana, Contenta, Kania. I don't know how to pronounce them, but the Zinger Fletching guys, they got an arrow company now. Oh. 250 shaft. Okay. It is a 250. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the shaft right there, dude. Man, I think if you, I think <laughs> all, all the shaft, shaft talks get me. <laughs> all worked up. Nick's flushed over here. <laughs> I think you could. Maybe may, may, may for next year. I think you, I think you consider I think you bump that up to eighty pounds and you put some more, <laughs> you put some more you should be shooting at your draw length dude you should be shooting like five hundred and twenty five to five hundred and fifty grains I think yeah I'd rather go lighter honestly how far do you usually shoot why that's the question right like what what's your normal kill range three yards yeah you could go heavier <laughs> why would why would you go light why would you go lighter. But I've shot deer. I've shot bucks at sixty yards too. Okay, that's uh, what I was wondering. So my my uh, thinking is to go lighter as I get more speed, flatter trajectory. Mm-hmm. So my yardage guessing doesn't have to be as precise. Yep, that's and a good call. A big thing for me is public land. I can't cut shooting lanes. So if 100%. I'm looking at a buck, if I'm looking at a buck through a hole. I want to be able to shoot through that hole and yep. not have to worry about rainbowing my arrow up and above it and hitting a bunch of stuff. Wow, like, dude, you you don't just, you you're not you don't have to be concerned about that. I mean, 500 grains at your well, at 75 pounds, you know, it's, that's I, I'm still right in your same range there. I'm saying yeah. I wouldn't necessarily increase your weight without going to the 80 pounds, but you know, at yours, you're probably right on. It's like if you could shoot. You know, I don't know how many grains per inch that arrow is that you're shooting, but I I shoot it as light as possible and as stiff as possible and keep that weight, but put it towards the front. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is more, I've thought, I was comparing it more to like the 700 pound, the 700 grain arrow guys that yeah. heavy arrow, they're more rainbow and they got to be really oh, yeah. precise in their yardage. Yeah. Where they're shooting, what they're looking through might not be where they're going to hit in the flight of the arrow. Yeah. So I want to just be able to hit where I'm looking at basically. So I can that, get that, through little holes. That 300 so. is a sweet spot. If you're coming out of there 300 feet per second, I, you don't have to yeah. worry about it. Yeah. yeah that's what. That's what Joe likes too. Joe Miles likes that three hundred feet per second mark. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. I like that. Common. That we do. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I think that's. I, I think we're. You know, and again, we're talking whitetails here. You, you go to elk or moose or sure. bear, whatever, a different ball game. We're we're speaking purely on a whitetail side, but I don't think anything but you know a, a fairly fast arrow, decent FOC, and an expandable broadhead. I think that is just a killing machine for whitetails. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree, 100%. Apparently, you would. They're on your wall behind you. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it seems like it would be it'd be proof in the pudding. Cool, man. Yeah, well, uh, so you got big bucks here. What uh, Are you guys going to be doing any content uh, with with Osseo and stuff? Or what's the, what's the strategy there? Yeah, they just hired uh, Lucas Kincaid as a content creator. Yeah. He's going to... Mostly filming Joe. I'm going to self-film, but I got some like part-time camera guys that are going to come uh, film me here and there. And then I got some other hunts lined up uh, that I'm going to go on and just self-film a bunch and just kind of mix it up, do my own thing, uh, have footage for them. And then Joe's putting all his footage on the Osio gear platform. Very cool, man. Where are you going? Where's, where's these other hunts you got planned? I'm going to Kentucky uh, next week. Yeah, boy. So, word. What what part? Yeah. Western Kentucky? LBL. Huh? Yeah, Western. Western. LBL, Western Kentucky. Yeah, land between the lakes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, cool. it's gigantic, so I don't care about name dropping. Or yeah, it's huge. There's some really good deer there. Um, Some tough hunting as well, but there's some really good deer in the LBL area. Then I'm going to go to Missouri after that, then be mm -hmm. back here for a Iowa bow opener. And then I got the resident only early season uh, muzzleloader tag too for October for Iowa this year since I can hunt every day. Oh, there you go. So, is that in addition to your gun tag or no? It is my gun tag. That is your gun tag. Yeah. So I'm burning my gun tag. So after, uh, if I don't tag out after December, I'll pretty much be done unless my bow tag, I can use that late season still. Yeah. So if you haven't filled it, gotcha. Yeah. And then uh November I'm going on a a special hunt, but I can't say anything about that. I don't even know where it is. You just show up in the <laughs> you show, Sounds you like a trap. Up. Is that a special ed hunt? <laughs> no, it's like a TV deal. Oh yeah. Oh TV. You just show up, they blindfold you. As seen on. <laughs> they give you uh they give you like an envelope or something with the state you're hunting and you're gone the next day to go hunt. Like, I have no idea. Where what? Is it like, like a squid game? Like a challenge, yeah. like a public land challenge type deal? Yeah, kind of, sort of, I guess. All right. So you know a little bit about it. It's, you, so it's for a TV show though, right? Yeah, I just can't say anything or they'll get all mad right. at me. All right, all right. Is it a, does the TV show exist or is it new? No, it's it exists. They already okay. have a platform. Okay. So, but you show up blindfolded. Maybe wearing pants or not. We're not sure yet. Uh, <laughs> they give, full shaft. Full shaft. <laughs> like I had pants when I left and I. Yeah. They give you an envelope and then you just have to drive to that state and hunt. 
Yeah, for like seven days straight. That doesn't sound like a bad deal. Minus the what happens with your pants. We don't know about that. Yeah, tell us what sure. what tell us what network it's on and we won't ask any more questions. It'll be on YouTube. Okay. Okay, so it's a online show. You can't yeah. ask any more questions. You just blew it. You're out <laughs> of questions. Sorry. <laughs> and okay. then uh December. I have no idea what I'm doing in December yet. January I'm going to go to Alabama. Yeah, there you go. Go down south, hit the rut. Yep, exactly. You should go down to the Mississippi Delta at some point, too. There's some giants in there. And December, January is really good. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to circle back. Like, if I don't kill early in Kentucky or Missouri. Yep. Like, Missouri, you get two bucks. You get another buck after the gun yep. season's over. So good drop down there in a hunt. There's so many states I want to hunt that it's just I got a long list. I Next know. year, I thought about doing, like, a mountain tour, like hunting Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Western Virginia. There you go. I'll trade you. I'll trade you. I'll trade you a <laughs> Pennsylvania tag for your late season. We're Iowa coming. Tag. We're going to Iowa next year. Yeah, we'll oh, be yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. We will be. We'll Iowa be in next Iowa year. next year. We'll finally draw. So we'll be out. Yeah, you're gonna hit me up. I can. I'll help you guys out. All right. There you go, man. Yeah. So it'll be fun. I think one thing you should look at is, uh, I think you would really enjoy a mule deer hunt in North Dakota with Jared and I at some point. Yeah, that'd be sick. I've been thinking about hunting up there. I want to do elk too. I thought about going to Idaho or Colorado to yeah. the elk hunt. The the Badlands mule deer hunt you would enjoy. Yeah, sounds sick. So yeah. um, and it's it September. Depends a lot like your whitetail style, honestly. Just you know, be bopping around and hunt, just hunting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Opening days September first. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Early in the game. Yeah, I was on my short list with Nebraska, but I just picked Kentucky. Short, your short list year. of states you wouldn't mind hunting? <laughs> yeah, for early, for early season opener, yeah. Didn't they just get um, like more stringent with Nebraska? Like, I don't know if it's yeah, the mule deer or something happened there. They limited a whitetail tag. Pretty much all non-residents are limited now. They, wow. Once they fill the quota, you're done. Their deer population's way down bad. From EHD? Uh, EHD, uh, over harvesting and some, the winter was really bad out there last year too. A lot of winter kill. Damn. Mm. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff that they got to start, you know, they got to get away from the opportunity in some of those States and start focusing on taking care of the herd and getting into where it needs to be. Yeah, for sure. So they kind of went to like the Idaho elk thing where once the tags sell out, there's gone and nobody else can get in. Yeah. It's like a first come first serve. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, wow. Did you? Uh, you uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about. It. You see, uh, Tim and Jason are not selling deer licenses this year. No. Cause something about like the state wants them to do it like on a first come first serve basis, and they're like, we just can't. As far as the doe tags. Oh, the doe tags. They're like, we can't. We're not gonna like talk. That's gonna be because the line will just be out the door, and they won't be able to do anything. So else. they just decide not to sell hunting licenses. No, they hardly make any money off of that. I'm right. sure. It's like a dollar a license they make. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah, that was a clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. Stupid. But. Well, cool, dude. Well, um, let's plan on getting you back here uh, maybe in December or January, catch up on kind of your season and, and how everything's going. And then obviously we'll you see you at some tell of these us, trade man. shows. You're, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hopefully I kill something so we got a story. <laughs> it's, it's sitting here. That's yeah. right. I always there, like to hear about a full shaft getting sent. <laughs> there's one key thing, though, that I think will help me out over the last couple of years, that Tuesday through Thursday window on public, 
I got bucks that daylight because there's everybody's at work, man. And now I get to hunt that window. That's right. So I, suckers. Yeah, suckers. <laughs> I'll be hunting and everybody else. All my buddies how, will be working. How did you swing? How's Joe Miles is just like, yeah, dude, you know, four months. That's fine. Like, are you going to be working during these four months or just not really? <laughs> Product I'm research and development. R&D, yeah, baby. research, development, hunting my balls off. That's all I got to do. Did you? Was that like something you worked in up front or like... I think he used it as a persuasion. Yeah. 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 He's like, you can hunt. And you're like, great. I'm in. He's like, well, I'm not, I'm no, no, no. I'm not going to pay you during this month. But. Yeah. It's like school, except instead of the summer, I get off the fall. Yeah. I yeah, get exactly. It. That's the time to have off. Like yeah. a dream, man. You will be working your balls off. They'll come quarter one. <laughs> yeah. So the other six months i'm working my balls off for damn sure traveling yeah. all over hell and back but it's worth it to hunt the hunt all season that's yeah. cool man that's the name of the game dude bust your balls off season and well it's that and you're with a good company you, you know you got good people around you you've got good products i mean so that that it makes it more enjoyable um and obviously you know being out there you know you hunting and killing a buck is it's good content and good publicity for the brand so why not? Yeah, I make a lot of I make a lot of connections at the shows, man. Guys will give me some good intel, or even had a lot of guys invite you out to hunt their properties or do whatever. It's kind of it's kind of wild. It is like, wild, dude. We we get the same thing like on just on Instagram. People hit us out. They're like, hey, if you guys ever want to come come hunt so and so, you know, let us. I'm like, because we're you know too too generous. You know, yeah. we, we don't hardly ever. But take, it's take Michigan, anybody so no, it, we're not we're not actually going to come there. <laughs> I'm like, do you really want me to come kill your target buck? Come on, man. I, really? I couldn't do that yeah. to somebody. Yeah, 200? I, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will. I will kill it. But I, I would I, just tell them ahead of time, like, hey, man, you know what you're getting into. Like, yeah. I'm going to go for that big buck. You know, yeah. it's just what it is. I'm but literally public. Yeah, I'm literally going to be living in your living room for seven days while you're working. So <laughs> just yeah. so we're okay with that. So it'll be fun though. I probably might take a couple like buddies that I know. I might do it just uh, yeah. but hunt like a team, like hunt public, bounce around, like absolutely split it off. I think that's kind of fun, kind of like the public land challenge things that like Dan and Fulton. Yep. Uh, yeah, Warb and those guys do. I think the hardest part that you'll figure out, even though you have like you can hunt every day, is it, like that travel and in between. Like you end up pulling yourself to a state, and then you know, next thing you know, you're getting camera pictures in Iowa, and you're like, "Damn it!" You know, and it's just, it, it, it's the there's almost your stockpiling gas money. Well, there's only so yeah. much good hunting time in a season. That's that's yeah. what the because Jared and I suffer with it. We'll be like, "Oh, we're going to Kansas," and then back at our home farms, it's amazing, and we're like, "Damn it!" You know, and it's just because you know, those are the peak days. doesn't matter where you're at in the Midwest or Northeast. I'm not leaving Iowa if I have a tag, unless it's for a TV hunt. That's the only way I'm doing it. I think oh, that sounds, wow. that sounds probably smart or, or like Kentucky, there's no season open. So why not? And then Missouri, there's no season open. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I can just hunt September then yep. circle back to Iowa. And then whenever I tag out, I can jump back out and go to the other States where I didn't fill a tag or like, do the January thing because I'm doing an early gun so with the muzzle loader. So it'll give me something to do. Sounds like a pretty good gig he's got here. Yeah, definitely. Are they hired? Aussie <laughs> is hired. Are they hired? I could I could hey I could use I could use four months off. You need a marketing bitch? <laughs> I'll be your guy. Nice. You have to hit Joe up on that. All I right. Say it anyway. All right. <laughs> 
Well, cool, dude. We appreciate you coming on this afternoon. I'm just choked on my water. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, for sure, keep us updated. Uh, you know, throughout the season, and and let's make sure that we rope you back in here. You know, later this fall, and and kind of catch up and see how things are going, and prep you out for uh, for show season. Heck yeah, man! It'd be awesome. Appreciate you guys a lot. You too, buddy. Thanks, dude. Awesome. Good to have Rendell back. Full shaft. Always a pleasure. His full shaft with us. <laughs> it's funny. No balls, no box. Full shaft. Man. I like that guy. Yeah. It, I mean, and and Joe and those guys at, at Ozio got a really good yeah, guy. Sounds like they're taking good care of him. Give him yeah. four months off to hunt. That's not a bad gig. Yeah. Good, good <laughs> Joe's going to listen to this podcast and be like, wait, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's a killer too, man. Who, Joe? No. Randall. Randall. Oh, yeah. Dude, no. Like, he just, it's funny because he's, he's one of those guys that, I think he explains it really well, but also if you were walking behind him when he was going into that stuff in a shadow, essentially, uh, he, his gut instinct, I bet is just kind of off the charts. Some guys just have it and some don't, you know, of yeah. just instinct of like, yeah, well, it's just, conf- that's the confidence. tree. That's where we're going to sit. Yeah. Spending time in the woods, confidence and mm-hmm. making moves. I think he's one of probably been our biggest supporter or agreeer in the fact of like, you know, you're not just going to go and kill bucks anywhere. There's, the reason he's killing big bucks is because he's living in Iowa. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that that's why he moved there. And so, you know, you hear a lot from people in, in some of these bigger Midwestern states where are like, oh, you know, it's it's not that easy. Well, yeah, but they're there at least. Mm. You know, there's a lot of states that those bucks, yeah, they they don't exist. So I can be as good of a hunter and as, as you know, aggressive as a hunter as possible. The deer's not there to kill. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Um, you know, just like I, you know, besides him hunting in September, I wouldn't leave Iowa either. Why would I leave Iowa? To go where, deer yeah. yeah, to go where. So, you know, I think that, you know, that, that style of hunting though, his, his probably cutting his teeth and in, in even, I think it was North Carolina where he hunted or grew up, but like cutting his teeth on that kind of hunting to go to that. It's like, dude, you're, to me, you're a step ahead of a lot of people because you've had to suffer in a place where those bucks didn't exist to try to kill decent deer mm-hmm. now to go to a place where there are giant bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, look at, uh, well, I guess there's big bucks, but you know, we use rising as an example for a lot, but you know, who, who else, who are your other guys that are like your East coast guys that when they go to the Midwest, they just like, they clean up rising probably the most notable. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. It's like, he just trips into Kansas and like three, three, two hundreds are dead. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he rises like for sure. Yeah. He, he absolutely is the guy. I, everybody else is pretty much located in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of us coming from uh, the East. Well, there, there are, but they kind of stick here. You know, think about your Johnny Stewart, your, your bows. Yep. Who are great guys, great killers, but I don't know if they, they don't necessarily hunt the Midwest that much. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think they do mostly like PA stuff. Mm-hmm. West Virginia, PA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a different, um, Jake Bush is like Ohio, Kentucky. So, yeah, I mean, there's just not a, there's not a ton of them going that, that way. And I mean, we've said it not to be cocky about it, but it's just, it it is, some of the situations are easier. We talk about hunting the Midwest being easier. Some of those are, but it's just the, the abundance of bigger, mature bucks in those areas and the deer space that we can hunt them that makes it easier. 
yeah, it's just relative to like here. It just it may not even be possible. I can say, you know, at least out there, it's it's possible. They're there, you know. If they're there, it can be done. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's all it is. So cool having Rendell on. We appreciate him coming in and and uh, explaining his full shaft to us. We are full shafting right into season. Yeah, it's it's August 29th at this point. If you're listening to this on the day it dropped, and I mean, we are TikTok. We are into it. We are into it. I I can't uh, I can't wait. I, September like gets me giddy and then after that it's just i'm full shafting or off to the races <laughs> yeah, at that point so yeah. anyways uh we appreciate you listening to rendo eric episode 142 mm-hmm. nick sure yep, do. 142 and we'll catch you next week later it's take me